Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Ha ha! Huzzah! Hee ha ha ho 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 ho! To the funny farm or light. Oh, sorry. No, they're not coming to take me away, but uh, that doesn't matter because you are listening to the Pie Factory Podcast. Once again, from the. Are you from one of the headquarters locations? Nah. Tonight? Well, well, you know what? I am from Morris, Illinois. We did have a float in the Corn Festival Parade oh. uh, this year. What, Pie Factory had a float? Yeah. Uh, huh. They weren't really too keen on it, though, because it was just uh, Hyde sitting in the back of a pickup truck flipping everybody off. I don't know what that was about. That, that's yeah. that's typical Hyde. Yeah, but, uh, you know, what are we going to do? Fire him? We've tried, but... Uh, there's two problems. A, his contract, oh, and B, God. he really is just too good at this. So <sighs> you're damned if you do, damned if you're not. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't do it. Truth be told, he's actually a pretty nice guy, but uh, he does act like he's God's gift to uh, he, he does have industry. kind of an abrasive personality until yeah. you get to know him. But uh, yeah. I'm actually we're recording this in a different time than we usually from what we usually do. Pardon, I almost made a grammar flub there. Different from. It's not different than, folks. It's different from. Different from. Uh, and having said that, though, uh, that hasn't affected my recording location. I'm still recording from our north headquarters. Oh, did you know that during the uh, and World I'm Fair sure, by in, the way. Uh, oh, that during the from the World's Fair in I think it was 1898, 1892, sometime that around that in Chicago, the Columbia the Exposition. Yes, the water was 1893. So bad. 1893. The water was so bad in Chicago. How bad was it? They actually ran a pipeline from the site to a spring up by Kenosha Racine, that area. That wasn't a very funny punchline. Well, it wasn't meant to be a punchline. It was a fact, a fun fact. Or a mildly amusing fact, anyway. It was kind of fun, actually. I will give you that. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. I, yeah. you know, I'm fascinated to hell with that that exposition ever since reading uh, Devil in the White City, which is yeah. going to be turned into a movie on Hulu, by the way. Oh, it's a movie now? I thought it was going to be a miniseries or something. Oh, maybe it is a miniseries. I think a miniseries would do better. But yeah. I guess uh, from what I understand, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. From what I understand, he still has the rights to it. So it's, uh, from what I understand, it's still going to be his production company working it. But I wonder yeah. how they're going to make that a, how they're going to do that. Because it's like people will want to see like the horror and maybe uh, you have to make the other part of the story, the building and operation of the fair intriguing as well. I just loved reading that book because they were describing when the Ferris wheel was first turned on and oh, a God, whole yes. crap ton of nuts and bolts fell out of it. They're like, yeah, that's okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that surprised me most about that is uh, it was technically, well, it wasn't technically, it was the first Ferris wheel, even though similar devices had been in operated, yeah. operation for years. But the uh, the cars weren't like you see today, like at fairs. Yeah. Where it's just like the two-seaters or even bigger ones that have like a little cab. Each car had like a full bar and snack bar in it. Yeah, it's, it was kind of like the high roller in Vegas. Yeah, they, they, each one had were like full railroad cars yep. Yep. on this thing. And you don't think of that. So, And it withstood a tornado. Hmm. So nowadays was, you don't hear of tornadoes in Chicago very much. When you do, they'll blow down like a tree branch and that's about it. The last one I heard... Uh, hit near Wrigley Field about seven, eight years ago, I believe. It's always in that general area in Lakeview. Mm. But yeah, I I love that book. And the thing about that book is if you have an Abbasidarian vocabulary, uh, you will have uh, improved vocabulary by the time you're done reading it. Sure. Yep. 
Yeah, and of course, it doesn't hurt that Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry yes. is in the only remaining building from the fair. Yep, and the Midway Plaisance is still... It's there, but it's, it's run there. by the University of Chicago, yep. and mm. they have, like, parks. And In fact, th- a couple of years ago, they were building a new, uh, like, hockey rink or something like that, and they found one of the original footings for the Ferris wheel. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, that was neat. Uh, you know what? A lot of people say, talk about Chicago being a hellhole. <clears throat> And, yeah, a lot uh, of people, and, sure. And how Chicago's dangerous and all. Chicago's a fun city. It's a fascinating city. It's got an amazing history. Between floods and fires, I mean, Chicago's had everything. So. Hey, I've lived in Chicago for 16 years, one month, and eight days, and I've yet to feel unsafe here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I've told my one incident that I, that I had when I was with a group of people, and somebody heard a homeless in my group heard a homeless person swear and she was like this ultra uh sheltered oh uh, i got gotcha. yeah yeah i yeah, can't chicago, chicago is a pretty safe place actually if you stay if you stay away from like crack houses and gang headquarters and things you're fine like almost every other city in the world exactly i mean you're gonna take your chances the exception of reykjavik reykjavik was pretty safe in fact just recently, Iceland has had its first uh, murder in about a, about 10 years for the whole country. So the biggest crime they have to um, deal with there is graffiti, and even they don't prosecute that. So first murder in 10 years, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's just a coincidence that you were just there. Um, um, oh, I said too much. You said enough. So, hey, Sean, what, what have you been uh, doing and playing lately? Doing and playing, um, I will answer that in the order that you have uh, asked. Uh, We could not get our schedules together to record a September episode, and it it totally occurred to me that I forgot to disable Patreon for the month of September before it was already too late, and I felt bad about that. And they don't really have a refund process, but what I did was uh, I figured, well, there was a hurricane, of course, that really affected a lot of Florida, so... What do we like to do when bad things happen? We'll see if we can help out by donating our Patreon proceeds, which we did. We kicked in a few bucks ourselves, too, and mm-hmm. uh, sent that off over to NAMI of Florida. That's where that all went, I guess. Yeah. I can't think right now. So, yeah, we hope every, everything turns out okay for those yes. who, who are sustaining damage and other bad things. My, uh, my cousin-in-law, she and her husband and kids live in Clearwater Beach which got hit pretty hard. Mm. Well, actually, I think they were in Clearwater, not really Clearwater Beach, but still, they didn't get any damage at all. If they did, it was very, very minor, and they didn't lose power at all either. They got really lucky. You know, I'm surprised Florida weathers these hurricanes as well as they do uh, because it's such a low-lying state. It is the flattest state in the country, Illinois being the, the second flattest. And uh, it's just amazing uh, that you know, the water has someplace to go eventually. And it doesn't help that Florida's basically built on an ancient coral reef. It's like totally on top of a lot of limestone. Uh, there's limestone sinkholes opening up all the time, especially around the Orlando area. Hey, as and somebody fact, who rides a bike as much as he can, I'm calling bullshit on that Illinois flat thing. Oh, it is. It's the second flattest state in the country. A uh, professor in Kansas kept hearing people say, complaining about how flat Kansas is, so he looked into it, and Kansas is like fifth or sixth on the list. It's like uh, Florida, Illinois, I think Delaware, 
I don't remember the, list, the rest of the list, but it's something like that. Yeah, because my thighs and the elevation changes tracked in Strava tell a different story. <laughs> well, most of Illinois, especially the center, you would comment all the time about Interstate 55 and 57 are boring. Yeah, it's they're so boring. Flat. I didn't say they're flat necessarily. I just it's said they're boring. boring. They're flat. There's nothing to see. And nothing to see here until you get to the far northwest corner of the state. Anything from the Rock River to that Wisconsin-Iowa border. That uh, is lovely. That's a beautiful area up there. Yeah. The Driftless area, they call it. And then there's the southern part of the state, which is the Shawnee Hills, which I got to get you down there sometime. You're going to love it down there. It's almost like mountains down there. Ooh. Seriously. Highest point in Illinois is at a place called Charles Mound in the northwest corner of the state. But supposedly the second uh, highest spot in Illinois is downstate at a place called Williams Hill. I'm going to disagree with that. I think the highest place in the state is the dispensary that opened down the street from where I live a couple of years ago. At any rate, uh, enough about geography. Anyway, um, ans- further answering the question as to what, what have I been doing? Oh, another thing I've been doing was losing my job. Yeah. What? I lost my job since uh, we last uh, recorded and released an episode. Uh-oh. So that's been fun. And um, the thing is, because I've been unemployed for a little over a month... I had some time to play some games. I should say specifically one game, really, and it's because of earlier in the year when Collector Vision made their annual Collector Vision Club open, I decided to pony up. It's pretty expensive, but you get a lot for the money. Like You get access to mm-hmm. the vault, and you can download all the ROMs you want for ColecoVision and Intellivision, and you get sent... I don't know if this is true for every year, but at least for 2022, it was three boxed cartridged ColecoVision games. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what they were because people are still getting them and they don't want to spoil it for everybody. Uh-huh. But when I opened the box and I saw the first game, I just reflexively, uncontrolled, said, holy sh-. Oh, I thought you were going to say urinate, but that's close enough. Well, it's very close. Yeah, it's just uh, from a different angle, I suppose. But I'm not going to say what it was other than that it is an arcade conversion that we have Mm -hmm. talked about Mm -hmm. of a really one of our favorite arcade games. I think it's safe to say between the two of us. It's uh, one of our favorites. Uh I know which game you're talking about. And it has a couple of other home ports, one of which is very renowned, I guess I should say. And so I spent some time playing that on my Collector Vision Phoenix. And I feel kind of bad for what I was thinking as I was playing it because some of the hit detections seem to be kind of wonky. There are a lot of weird transparencies. And um, it occurred to me that it's probably just the limitations of the ColecoVision system itself. I'm just not really very ColecoVision literate at all. So I don't know what its limitations are, what it can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I, probably, I do, uh, probably that. I do applaud the efforts of... Mm-hmm all who were involved in developing that game, because I think for what they had to work with, they did a really good job. They really did. I think from what you were telling me about this particular game, that there's one or two minor bug fixes that they could uh, could do to it. There's one in particular, but I don't want to give it away what, uh, what game this is. Yeah. I've, I've been so tempted to throw a clue out, but I'm going to refer yeah. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't I hear make you it there. too easy. Yeah, we can record a quick addendum if uh, if it becomes public knowledge uh, by the time this is re- released. I'll just send it over to Hyde, and he'll probably charge us a little bit more. But oh well. But yeah, I played that game for a while, and also in the time between episodes, I have visited two arcades. Two, two, two? because um, 
for the, I think, third year in a row, um, not counting pandemic shutdowns, of course, you and I and some other folk attended uh, Vintage Computer Festivals. Yeah. Yeah. Vintage, Computer, Vintage Festival. Computer Fest Midwest in Elmhurst, Illinois. At York and Roosevelt Roads. Where you always, always save more, more money. money. However, uh, at uh, the Vintage Computer Festival Midwest, since we're talking about it right now, I did pick something up there, and that is the oh, yeah. Atari Artist. Uh, I got to sit right here. The Atari Touch Tablet, which comes with the uh, Atari Artist uh, cartridge, which is uh, like a touchpad that Atari made for it. Which, uh, but I want to see if with this Touch Tablet, if I could get like a picture of like the Tinkle Pit logo or something and see what I can do. Given the uh, limitations of the Atari 8-bit, you can only really do like four colors, but uh, hmm. there's uh, ways around that with like dithering and stuff. I'm curious if it can you can use it with other programs. It does say in the instructions for it that games that use the paddle on the Atari 8-bit computers can use that as a game controller. Hmm. So I'm going to have to try that out. And uh, we met, ran into a celebrity there, which uh, you don't know, but I do. Yeah. And that is uh, <laughs> Clint with Lazy Game Reviews was yeah, there. I just don't watch YouTube stuff. I love his channel, especially his pickups channel. He's always looking for like boxed PC games and weird PCs and accessories and He's done some really cool stuff. I really like his content. And he's an avid collector of calculators, and I had one to give him. Huh. And his most recent video about uh, the Vintage Computer Fest, uh, if you squint really hard, you can see the calculator like almost smack in the middle of the screen uh -huh. uh, near the end of the video. And uh, so yeah, when I posted uh, a picture of it to my Facebook page, one of my Facebook friends says, That's Clint! So... <laughs> So, yeah, uh, so other people there, Ben Heckendorf was there. I got to tell you, Ben is a nice guy. He really is. I haven't really interacted with him too much, but uh, from what I have, yes, I would I would concur. I just love some of the stuff he used to bring to uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Like, he's he's well known for taking big items and shrinking them down, like making handheld ColecoVisions and yeah. 2600s and that sort of thing. But one year, he made... Uh, gigantic game boy that was something <laughs> it was like, else it was like six feet tall it was it was almost <laughs> as tall as me that was awesome oh, i love that that's got to be a lot easier to do though thing is i don't have quite as good a time when i go to vintage computer festival nope. it just doesn't really do much for me but hey it's free and I get to socialize, mm -hmm. even though I'm not really the most yep. social person in the world. Oh, and Tempest was there again, too. Oh, yeah, Tempest. Way. I haven't seen yes. him in a while. No, I hadn't either. Yeah. So anyway, continue. But anyway, the one thing that I saw that really grabbed me was somebody had an Amiga 1200 that was playing with only um, a 68030 accelerator, so not a very fast accelerator, was playing music videos in full resolution and full I speed. I saw that. That was neat. Yeah. I mean, it was basically just some clever like software trickery using the onboard hardware. And he told me that, uh, he said, I don't even need the accelerator. I just put it mm -hmm. in here just so we can get things up and running for the show without too much hassle. But mm -hmm. yeah. And people basically scoffed at me for being a diehard Amiga user for 13 years. From 1993 uh -huh. to 2006. All I can say is, hey, now do you people understand? Of course you don't. <laughs> but And after Vintage Computer Festival, I opened up Google Maps and said, record stores near me. And I found a uh, new pressing of the mono version of Pink Floyd's Good album. Their debut album, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I was hesitant at first to actually buy it. But Ferg recommended it before. 
Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, man, what's the purpose of listening to that psychedelia in mono when the stereo effects are such a big part of it? Ferg was right. It is really good in mono. There's a they they did a really good mix of it. Well, all I know is I only own two Pink Floyd albums: The Wall, which is meh, and uh, Dark Side of the Moon, which I really love. Ah, so you have the second most overrated album ever made. No, I don't have anything by the Beatles or Beach Boys. No, the first most overrated album ever made is Led Zeppelin's fourth album, which is not called Led Zeppelin 4, people. And the third most overrated album ever made, Rumors. Period. I'm not even going to say prove me wrong because I I am not. That is a true fact. You can look it up and prove it. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Anywho, after that... uh, we had some pizza over at Lou Malnati's with a few people, and... May I uh, just say one more thing while we're on the Midwest uh, Vintage Computer Fest? There was one really neat display that grabbed my attention. My son brought it up to me, but I didn't I didn't pay much attention to it, because he was like... My, when you have kids, they're always like, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, and they're like... Ugh. The kid's, what, 18 years old? He's an adult. Yeah. Let, like, pay he's attention 19. to him. He's 19. What? No! Uh, he's not that old. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Mm-hmm. You're lying. Nope. So, at any rate, uh, someone there had a uh, a display where he had old uh, workstations and uh, servers from the Weather Channel. Oh yeah. And, and they had a, he had a TV hooked up to it, and he was uh, pumping out like tornado and snowstorm and blizzard warnings all throughout the show. It was awesome. It was great, man. That was a that was one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen at that show. That is pretty cool. I, I just love seeing all of this vintage tech. Uh, they didn't have any arcade games there this year. I that was know. different, yeah, because they usually have uh, like usually a, they have like four to six. Yeah, there's like an asteroids and a Mister Do Missile Command. Yeah, I think they had one year, but that's about the extent of it. But um, when I go next time, I'm a, I definitely want to sit in on some of the panels. Yeah, uh, see what they have to say. But uh, the greatest thing about this whole show is that it's free. To get in, yeah, that they do is take a good donations deal. to offset the cost, but uh, it's it's free to get in, and uh, they have a free table. Yeah, they'll I, take anything except monitors and printers, and uh, if you if nobody gets ri- if nobody takes it before the end of the show, you have to take it with you. But other than that, hey, it's it's a free for all. I got a pretty damn good clock radio off of that a few years ago, and I'm still using it to this day. I wish they would do something like that at Midwest Gaming Classic. You know what? That would be neat. You never know what you would find there. I, yeah. You know what? I would I would pick up a few used joystick parts, like arcade joystick parts. That would be awesome. I don't really like that rule that you have to take it if no one takes it, because that assumes that you're going to be there at the end of the show. So I'm not going to hang out for the whole damn thing. Yeah, but the problem is it's the hotel doesn't want the responsibility, and it's not the stuff of the people who run the show. So I get it. But... Uh, if you don't want it, trash it. Well, they should do something like that where basically they should offer some kind of a uh, recycling option. You know what? That's not a bad idea, actually. So that you don't have to like call all around creation to find out where to bring this stuff if nobody wants it. So you were saying, afterwards we went to Illuminati's Pizza. I, Lou Malnati's Lou Pizza. Lou Malnati's, yeah. Which their pizza's pretty good. I enjoy yeah. it. Today we don't have one anywhere near where I live. Fun fact... There are more Lou Malnati. Did I say this before in this podcast? You may have, but more Lou Malnati's locations in the Chicago area, in the whole metro area, than there are Pizza Hut locations. Which doesn't surprise me. Chicago takes their pizza seriously. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't even tell me about that because uh, where I in my neighborhood, uh, there was uh, a Giordano's about to open up, and people were up in arms over it because it's a chain. We don't want chains in this neighborhood. It's like really. 
Yeah, but I you're think okay with the Starbucks and and the Chase yeah. Bank and the, shut up, people. And then then when they announced that a Pizza Hut was coming in the neighborhood, everybody's like, "Oh, good, we finally have a pizza." What is wrong with you people? Yeah, they they would take. Isn't that a, what we call a chain? I mean, nothing wrong. I got nothing against Pizza Hut. I actually like Pizza Hut, but still, shut up, people. Yeah, they would take a pizza chain from Kansas City over a pizza chain that's from Chicago. I don't think they're from Kansas City, actually. I think from well, that's where they started. That's where I, think they, they started. I thought they started in Wichita. Oh, maybe they did. They're they're from Kansas. That much I do know. So then afterwards, what did what did you do? I uh, headed over to Galloping Ghost. Oh. I don't know about the rest of you, but I did. I did. And a few of my friends did. And uh, there must have been another expansion because it was a lot more navigable than it was the time I was there yes. like a month or two earlier. It was definitely. It's still at the point where like if somebody is playing a game in an aisle, you will not be able to walk walk down that aisle yeah, <laughs> because there's that's... not enough room. But it's still, it's like, okay, this is better. This is better now. And what the thing I love about going to Galloping Ghost is that there are so many games that you never even think of, and I'm mm-hmm. taking notes as to the games we should be talking about on this podcast. Which reminds me, uh, not this last time, but the time before I went to Galloping Ghost, I took a bunch of pictures of different machines that we haven't covered yet, and I forgot to put those on our little yeah, uh, I've been our doing, little list. That's what I do which, too uh, when I go to the oh, ghost. Oh, speaking of which, I don't have my uh, Angelo. Don't have the spreadsheet up. Oh. And uh, we have actually covered one or two of those games that I had on my list already. Yeah, and while we were there, I played both of the games we're talking about in this episode. And so did I. Yeah, so hey, I don't remember what all I played over there. I know I, know I played Hubert's Cubes, because I always do when I go to the Ghost. I know there were a few games that I tried that I never played before, and I danged if I can remember what they were. But something that I, I would like to do, and I'd like to propose to Doc that I could maybe hmm. help out with, maybe... What he should do is do like what grocery stores do and hang aisle number signs all throughout the arcade. Uh And because the thing is, the games are being moved around all the time. So you might go to, say, one part of the arcade to play, I don't know, Pac-Land because you know it was always there. But suddenly they might move it somewhere else. What they should do is have some kind of online guide as to where each game currently is. It'll say, okay, uh-huh. you want to play Pac-Land? Go to aisle four. You want to play Mortal Kombat 9? Go to aisle one or whatever. Do you notice what game was near the washrooms? Tinkle Pit. <laughs> yeah, it usually is, actually. Well, last time I was there, it wasn't. Hmm. Which shows you how long it's been since I've been there. Yeah. But, Doc, if you're listening, um, hit me up. I'll... Uh, Type out a little proposal. It's simple, simple web scripting that can be done that can make it easier for people. You know what? It, it occurs to me too. Oh, that um, they could put a QR code on the machine, and when something moves, they just get a wireless hand scanner, beep, and it updates the uh, the website. That's a darn good idea. Mm. And actually, you'd scan. Uh, you'd have a QR code hanging up on the aisle, and then you'd have a QR code on the machine, and you just beep on the machine, and then beep on the aisle, boom, update the database. Hmm. I have good ideas sometimes. Yeah, that's something I could do, except the only thing is I really got to get our new website up and running. I also went to Underground Retrocade the uh, oh. night before we were recording this, and they got a couple of new things there, too, recently. Um, I'm trying to remember what they were. <laughs> All of a sudden, my mind is blank. Oh, their Omega Race machine is back, uh, and oh, I yeah? played a little bit of that for a while and realized I really started to suck at it. I, I thought, man, I love... I Did we mention in the Omega Race episode that that game is in stereo? Uh, no, we did not. I did not notice it until last... I was like, wait a minute, this is in stereo. Holy cow. 
But man, I love Omega Race so much. Such a great game. There's a new Playboy pinball machine there that I don't remember seeing before. I played Speed Racer for the first... I was never a fan of Speed Racer, uh, the Mm -hmm. cartoon or anything like that, but I played... That's a fun racing game. I have to try that. It's a pretty cool game. And uh, what else can I say? Uh, Oh, they got the turbo chip back in the uh, Ms. Pac-Man machine, so I was happy about that. Not happy that I only lasted until about 350,000, but hey, what are you going to do? Good time, good time overall. Um, still can't beat my 233,000 personal best in Centipede. You know, I have decided that I am on a mission to beat uh, Jim White's uh, score on Sinistar. Good grief. I can, only get, I can only get about half of what he does. And that would require, I think, getting through two levels. Oh, man, and I tried to beat your Moon Patrol score, and I couldn't. Uh, it's like something like 75,000, I think. It's in that neighborhood. The most recent update on the printed out card on the machine uh-huh. said something like 67,000. I can oh, okay. only get to like 61,000. Uh, I think I hit 75 at Pixel Blast. Now that ah, okay. Because that is uh, the current Battle of the Arcades game, Moon Patrol. So I tried oh, yeah? it. I couldn't believe I never had a score submitted to Arcade.com before. Really? So I'm thinking, okay, did I beat my Arcade score? I looked it up. Oh, there's not one there. Huh? Huh? such a common game i thought for sure i would have had that oh well but man i don't think my score is going to help underground retrocade at all they're probably going to go with someone else's scores for that but yeah i i'm not all that great i mean i'm able to finish through the first uh course and go into the championship the champion course or championship course whatever they call it the first one the first one i have uh, to finish but yeah yeah and um oh yeah there's something else that i did um this being unemployed also helped me uh, uh, get some extra time to do this. I visited the local frozen custard place in my neighborhood, Lickety Split. I go there from time to time, and that's where they have these weird drinks. And I, if you don't mind, I would like to go to Sean's Drinking Arena right now. Alrighty, Sean's Drinking Arena. What I have tonight, it's a soda called OK Boomer. Exclamation point. Oh, geez. <laughs> I got to read pretty much this whole bottle because it's just awesome. First of all, it's a blue drink. It's blue translucent and it's red hot cinnamon soda. And it says ironically blue. The header above the name says back in the day, soda was better. It's a booger snot. That's for sure. And there's some writing <laughs> in here. When someone says, hey, kid, how many ends in millennial? You say, who cares? I got spell check on my phone. And then when your phone battery goes, your brain follows right behind. But that's okay. And let's see at the bottom. It says it tastes so powerful. It can turn the most acquiescent into fierce street protesters. Always thirsty for more, more, more. (laughs) Let's see what else does it say here. Old school taste from a time when people were taught by teachers, not bloggers. The thing is, the way this label is printed out, it looks like it was made by bloggers because it looks very grassrootsy. <laughs> and uh, let's see, it says uh, 12 fluid ounces, 355 milliliters for those who insist on using the metric system. And let's see, there, the fine print here. This product does not contain kale or cauliflower and is the perfect alternative for those who find themselves suffering from... Uh, kombucha allergies, not a health claim. I mean, I, I don't know who makes this stuff. There's no company name listed here. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't know, but it's okay. Boomer soda. Yeah, that's weird. There's no company name. Anyway. Oh, wait there. Oh, there, there's an inscription on the underside of the bottle cap. 
Uh, we're curious if tort and Lehman's terms is extortion to you and me, whatever the hell that means. Oh, okay. The brand is real soda. So real soda. Anyway, um, I'm going to take a little sibble of it right now. All right. It's not really all that red hot, but it does have a very pleasant cinnamon flavor. Oh, nice. I do enjoy cinnamon. It's actually pretty mellow. I like it. I like what, it. Was it. What was it called again? Okay, boomer! Exclamation point. I will have to check that out. That sounds actually the flavor sounds uh, something that'd be right up my alley. Yeah, website is realsoda.com. I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes. And um, just to cap all this off, and then I'll uh, hand it over back to you, Jimmy G. Uh, uh, having said all that, I lost my job. Blah 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 blah. Uh, I was originally supposed to be starting a new job the day after we record this, but uh, it's been pushed back a week because my uh, background check didn't come back yet. So. So yeah, I'm I'm about to start a new job, so I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about it. The people I talked to there were really cool, so Yeah, they need to uh, you know, make sure that you weren't involved in the uh in the civil war going on down in Colombia. Well, as long as they don't find out about that thing in Sacramento, I'm fine. Could be worse. You could have been tied to that uh, you know, happening over at Walla Walla. Mm. Yeah. Good <laughs> grief. Nobody's talking about that, by Good. the way. Good. Good. Let's keep it that way. Let's okay. um and so you might be wondering what I've been playing. Well, I did mention that Honestly, I've been... Honestly, I have been, so do tell. Yes, so uh, I've been playing around with the Atari Artist touchpad thingy, which has been quite fun. And um, I've been playing a stupid game on my phone called Survivor.io. What's with this all this .io stuff on cell phones when it comes to games? I, 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 I don't understand that. But that's something I've noticed. I was going to turn my uh, my old Nintendo DSi into an emulation machine, which I guess... You can uh, jailbreak that thing because of a flaw in the camera in the device. <laughs> but it's not working. I ordered a part, tried to install it, and it's still not working. So I just thought I ordered a, D- a working DSi from eBay. Nope, it's DS Lite. <laughs> well, I was thinking about uh, just getting an, an actual DSi off of eBay, but then I looked up emulation on the DS Lite, and it turns out you just need like a cheap like $10 flash card. Huh. And uh, an SD card for it. And I'm like, ah, screw it. I'll just uh, deal with this. Nice. And um, so I'm going to do that. That card should be coming in Wednesday. And um, from what I've seen with for the emulators on it, of course, there's a version of Stella. Uh, and there's, a, I believe, a ColecoVision emulator and an Intellivision emulator. Oh, wow. And from what I've seen on one of the emulators, I don't remember which one, it uses the touchscreen portion of the DS to simulate the keypads on huh. the controllers. Which is nice. Well, how does it do the disc? Because that's a 16-direction pad. Probably the same way they do it on every other emulator. They don't. Oh. So that's probably just turned into eight-way. Yeah, it shows you how much I emulate in television. Yes. So um, I can't remember the name of the Intellivision emulator on the PC, but uh, it's fine. It works good. But to set up a controller on it is a pain in the bleeping bleep. Hmm. It, is, it is not fun. Speaking of emulation machines, when uh, I was talking to uh, HR and they were telling me I was being laid off and uh, they said, okay, you're going to have to return your MacBook. I said, okay. And I I also have a a Windows laptop here from earlier. And she said, "Eh, just keep it. (laughs) So I got to figure out what I'm going to do with that thing now because I don't think I just want to get rid of it. And I I hate Windows. Put Linux on it. I was thinking that, like, maybe just a quick Ubuntu install or something. There's, I think there's a gaming version of Linux. Really? Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but uh, you might want to look into that. Interesting. You put Linux on there, you can get uh, SuperTux 
Tux Racing, um, yeah, Burger the standard Space. Tux. Oh, Burger Space. You got to love. I love Burger Space. I'm not as huge a fan of that one because the uh, motion, the, the movement pattern of the enemies seems to be off to me. Well, what I like about Burger Space, and I might have mentioned this years ago, but there's a way that you can actually kind of walk right up in front of an enemy and make it fall down on, on a burger part really? much easier than how you could huh. do it on any other version. So I was like, oh, this is sweet. But it's hard to explain. I'll, if I can get a video of that, I'll post it. But uh, There is one game on Linux. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a Linux kind of implementation of uh, Monkey Ball. And huh. uh, it was pretty fun. And they also have a, a miniature golf based on the same engine. Uh, let me think. Uh, I know the game Neverwinter Nights by Atari actually had a Linux version. There's a, oh, OpenCiv. OpenCiv on Linux is great. Oh, that's a, okay. I've heard of that. Yeah, that's a uh, open source version of Civilization. Uh, that's a fun one. I know there's more. Uh, MAME, MAME and uh, different emulators run really well on it from uh, what I've uh, experienced in my lifetime. And um, so, yeah, you might want to look into turning it into a Linux machine. Yeah, maybe even a web server. Or a web server. Which would be a Linux machine anyway. True. Or, you know, old machines that you can't do much of anything with are great print servers. But uh, there you go. I've also been uh, putzing around with the the Fujinet on my uh, 65XE. I got some tips on how to use it. Yes, Uh, I got some tips on how to use it at uh, Vintage Computer Fest. And I've been enjoying it a little more. I've been going through a bunch of compilation uh, archives and playing different games. I found a few good ones. I found some ones like, I can't believe that they had the gall to to, to release that sort of thing. What, Chiller or something? <laughs> no, not Chiller. Just ones that are just so badly programmed. Ah. Uh, By the way, Gauntlet on the Atari 8-bit computers is trash. Really? It's terrible. I really liked it on the Commodore 64. I have not played it on the 64, but it seemed to be pretty good. But uh, yeah, don't don't play it. If you're going to play anything on the 8-bit like that, play Dandy, which is what Gauntlet is based off of. Right, right. Dandy is much more fun than the uh, 8-bit implementation. Yeah, of I remember you mentioning that in the episode before. Dandy. I haven't played that in a while. It's funny with, with Dandy because it uh, branched off on the one side, Gauntlet and all of its iterations. And then on the other side, it was uh, Dark Chambers on the Atari uh, computers and game consoles. So both of those different games are based on Dandy. 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 So that's why uh, Dark Chambers on the Atari 7800 and uh, 2600 seem to be pretty close to Gauntlet. In fact, somebody hacked the graphics on uh, Dark Chambers on the 2600 to turn it into Gauntlet. <laughs> nice. Did a pretty good uh, pretty good job of it, too. Okay, I'm really liking this OK Boomer stuff. I, I bought an yeah. emergency drink just to wash it down with. And I don't need the emergency drink. This is really good. It's really tasty. And hey, it's, a straight up, it's a straight-up soda, too, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. alcoholic. No, okay. no. Sorry to interrupt you there, Jimmy G. Go right ahead, please. Ah, don't be sorry. I'm nothing if not flexible. Well, yeah, that's not what my knees tell me. Anyway, so, and I've played uh, more Moon, or not Moon Patrol, Missile Command on the 8-bit computer in trackball mode. Mm. And that is so much fun with the trackball. Again, if you've got the Atari uh, trackball, which mine is CX-22, which has the joystick trackball switch, Put it in the trackball mode on the Switch, and when Missile Command loads up, hit Control-T, and it's in trackball mode. And I, I just need to reiterate, I have two CX-22s. One of them does not have the Switch. You had mentioned that. It must be like a really weird early test version or something. I don't remember what episode it was, but I've been listening to old back episodes of uh, the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. Hi, Ferg. And um, 
there was one episode they were talking about the uh, trackballs, and there was one of the late late models, which I did not realize was designed to actually work as a replacement for the mouse on the Atari ST. Really? Yeah, you could, you huh. could use it as, as a regular trackball or joystick, you know, one of the other consoles, but it was primarily designed to work as a replacement mouse for the ST. So I thought that was kind huh. of neat. And I've heard of, every one of Ferg's episodes. You think I'd remember I don't that. remember which one it was because I was just catching up on episodes I hadn't actually hadn't finished. Yeah, anybody listening to this who hasn't heard the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, check What's it wrong out. With it you? is such a good show to listen to. Oh, and I did order one game I was never fond of on the Atari 2600 was the Star Wars arcade game because hmm. I just thought the controls were uh, were terrible on it. I did order the trackball enhanced version of it uh, yeah. from the Atari H store. You could buy it from the Atari H store for joystick, but with the uh, the up and down axis is reversed because uh, the official release, if you push up to go down and down to go up, or you could order the trackball with either the original up to go down and down to go up or the trackball with the up goes up and down goes down, which is the one I ordered. So uh-huh. you can order three different versions of that one. And I, I ordered the latter. So yeah, uh, I'm probably not going to see that for a while because I think this is the time of year when Albert gets ready for uh, PRG. Yeah, that should be coming up soon though. It's usually in October. Oh, is it? I thought it was November. It might be even November this year. I don't know. Because you know people are still trying to get their ducks in a row after the pandemic and everything. So that's pretty much what I've been doing. I uh, really need to straighten my room up and I, I really need to find a better way to deal with all the different consoles I have hooked up because it's like, they're all like stacked on top of each other. And just like, like right now, I wanted to play a game on my master system. I'd have to go unbox it and hook it up because I just don't have the room to keep everything I own hooked up. So what I'm thinking of doing is going to Ikea and buying uh, two of these small uh, rack things, which I've got this on a rack now, hmm. but uh, combining the two kits into one like kind of longer rack system so I can keep everything hooked up at the same time. Uh-huh. It's actually really easy to do. You just all you do is like, yeah, because the way it's it sets up, it, it's just, like I said, really easy to do. So, at least that's what it looks like to me. But we'll see. I haven't been. We'll IKEA see. So My wife wanted to go to the IKEA in Reykjavik, but we didn't. They had a garden setter at the IKEA in Reykjavik for some reason. Yeah, good luck getting one of those Billy bookcases home. Yeah, no kidding. That's pretty much what I've been doing. Anyway, any uh, addenda and or erratum? Oh crap. Um. That is a darn good question. I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think so. I think we were pretty much right on the money last episode. I think doing fewer episodes makes it more likely that we're actually going to be right more frequently. Yeah, right. It's just the uh, law of averages, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's the weird thing. For our Patreon sponsors, our previous episode, uh, 132, I believe, that came out at the end of August. And for the rest of the world, it came out at the beginning of September. So. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, weird Z's all around. Um, Chris Plus 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 uh, actually commented on a dream you had. Oh, uh, yeah. But then, who says the Who can't discuss video games with you and Inky? The band evidently digs Space Duel, even if they find it hard. So, that's about it. Oh, I'm going to see the Who on Wednesday. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I haven't seen a concert in a while. That's another reason I'm glad that uh, they pushed my start date back, because, man, I don't want to have to work the morning after I see The Who. Yeah, that's, well, (laughs) I can imagine that's tough, but with me on my second shift schedule. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You had to go there. So, yeah, with my second shift schedule, it's hard enough to wake up in the morning anyway. Yeah, right. 
But uh, what was the last concert I saw? It's fairly recent, wasn't it? It was earlier in the years. Toto and Journey. Toto's were actually really good. People know they're like their big three songs: Rosanna, Africa, and um, I can't think of the third one. But some of their deep cuts were really good. I know that Journey was a band from uh, the San Francisco area, but I did not realize that one of the band members grew up near O'Hare as a Cubs fan. Huh. So they they addressed that in the in the show, and their uh, lead singer from uh, the Philippines is still really really good. Hmm. And uh, oh, he's Filipino. Yeah, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, okay. He's I Filipino. thought he was Japanese. Okay. No, he's. I think, I'm pretty sure he's Filipino. And uh, he's like, he was a good choice. My only problem is that I think I already mentioned this, but during that show, he said Chicago more times than the Chicago News does. So, or during a Chicago Cubs broadcast, hey Chicago, how you doing the show, Chicago? Yay, Chicago! I'm like, okay, we get it. We're here. Speaking of which, I have seen the band Chicago. In uh-huh. concert, I think four times. I saw him in Milwaukee. I uh-huh. saw him at Ravinia, and I saw him at uh, uh, whatever that place in Tinley Park is called this week. I think it's the Hollywood Amphitheater. Still, it's been like the Hollywood that for- Casino Amphitheater. Yeah. yeah, I think it's been like that for three years now, which is uh, uh, the longest streak in quite some time. Yeah, really. But I have never seen the band Chicago in Chicago. I still would like to see them in concert. I just never got the opportunity. Keep listening to Autobiography of a Schnook for more information about that, by the way. Later on this year. One band I've always wanted to see in concert, one of my top three bands I've wanted to see in concert, but I've not gotten a chance to, which I think it's ironic given the other two bands that I saw in concert that were at the top of my list, uh, is King's X. And I just find it weird that my other two bands, Steely Dan and Genesis, I got to see before King's X. That is weird, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially with the price of tickets for that Genesis show. Yeah, because you've been you've been a King's X fan for pretty much the entire time I've known you, which is over yep. 30 years now. Yep. I was supposed to go see him in the summer of 2020, but we know what happened with that. No, what happened? There was some sort of thing going on. It's like, uh, I don't know, something with a 19... 19- oh, it was the presidential election. That's right. Uh, yeah, everybody was caught yeah, up in yeah, that. So, true. yeah, people so, were too busy for that. So, yeah. So, yeah. And they haven't rescheduled the Chicago show yet. Mm. And uh, I thought they did, but no, they did. But they pushed it back again because of the same issue. Uh, but now their uh, touring schedule is limited because their guitarist is having some health issues right yeah. now. So it, it's very possible I might not get to see him, even though they're the same age as the guys on Steely Dan and Genesis. So, Interesting. Yeah. Which, by the way, King's X, most underrated and overlooked band in history, in my opinion. Even more so than Wonderments? I would say so, yes. Oh, yeah, at least Wonderments were had, had the uh, Austin Powers song, so... Of course, King's X did have a song on the uh, Bill and Ted's uh, Bogus Journey soundtrack. Hmm. So, uh, I think it's called... song is called Junior's Gone Wild, I believe. Okay, yeah, that... Okay, that does make them more, more underrated because Wonderments had Austin Powers. And they so. were actually in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. No, they were not. Oh, that wasn't them? That, no, Ming, they, Ming they, T was Matthew Sweet and some other people. Oh, okay. I had that wrong. So, at any rate, so, no addenda, no errata. So, should we get on to some games? Well, yeah, we've already been talking for, like, over 45 minutes and haven't even talked about it. Well, then again, we did talk a lot about games, just not the ones that we decided we were going to focus on for this S episode. And yet, when we went to Galloping Ghost, both of us played each game that we're talking about tonight. Yes, yes. And I'm proud of us for doing that. So which one do you want to talk about first? I could go either way on this yeah, one. Yeah, I'm thinking we should start with hard driving. All right, well, let's talk about hard driving then. Yeah. So 
kitties, grab your pillow, grab your, grab your blankie, get a nice hot cup of hot chocolate, gather around the fire, and let's listen to a little story about a game called Hard Driving. So this is an interesting game. Sometimes we talk about a game, and you do all the research that we normally do, and it's like, there's not really a whole lot there. But there are some games where you think you've done like all the research you can, but then you just keep finding stuff and more yeah. stuff and more stuff. It's like you're down a hole. And I know at this point that there's a lot of stuff that I have not found out about this game. So tuck in. We're gonna we're gonna go here. So car driving is 1989 by Atari, even though it was in development in, in 1988. From what I understand, some cabinets actually had a 1988 copyright on them. Uh, Atari wanted it released then, but they missed their deadline, so there you go. The control panel, with every other racing game, you have the typical, the steering wheel, the brake, and your gas pedals. It also has a manual gear shift, a clutch. This is the only game that I think we've ever covered It does not have a button to start the game with. Even if it's like a button that says, like, throw or something, a double duty button. Yeah. This one, you have a representation of a key that you turn. Oh, yeah. Put your tokens in, and you turn a key. Because hard driving was designed to be a realistic driving simulation right down to the uh, the physics. And we're going to get into that a little later in the trivia section. So nice. So this is uh, one of the earliest uh, fully polygonal games, uh, graphic-wise. As I said, realistic physics, which in my opinion can make the game hard to control sometimes. Objects are really simple. Complete the course in the specified time limits. And you have two tracks, a speed track and a stunt track. Speed track is just like mostly hills and curves, but stunt track has loops, jumps, banked turns, and other stuff like that. If you really think about it, this is an early representation of an open world game because the player isn't restricted to the track. Yeah, yeah. You can drive off the track if you want. However, you have a 10 second timer to get back onto the track. And every time that it puts you back on the track, you got to turn the key on again, turn your car back on. Mm -hmm. Unlike other racing games too, you can actually drive the track the wrong way. Oh yeah, I love doing that. Yes, and it will tell you that you're driving the wrong way. <laughs> it will not correct you though, unlike if you go off uh, off track. I think APB does that too. I mean, it's yeah, not a race I mean, overhead game. Overhead games you can do that, yeah. but overhead driving games, some of them you can do that. But uh, I don't think any first person yeah, games like yeah. this one you could do that with. If your player crashes, there's going to be an instant replay. And this game is, as it's polygonal, the graphics are kind of you know. They are what they are. They're kind of like in a uh, iRobot sort of uh, sort of vein. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what that there was kind of reminiscent of, and I think you nailed it right there. Yeah, but it has like all your signs. It's got your overhead uh, BGS signs, which in the Road Geek uh, parlance, BGS means big green sign. Those are oh. your informational signs, which tell you turn here for stunt track, go straight ahead for your speed track. Uh, it has your your warning signs, which are the yellow diamonds, which tell you there's a curve t- coming up with a speed limit on there and how fast you should take it. And watch and do follow those signs religiously in this game. I found you have about a 10 mile per hour leeway in that. Yes. Yeah, you do. But uh, don't go slower than, than that. Yeah. And in some cases, don't go faster. Oh, than yeah. That. <laughs> uh, especially on that banked curve, if you go too fast. On that loop, if you go too fast, you'll, like, fly off upside down. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I do love the uh, the stunt track. I do play the speed track from time to time, but the stunt track's so much fun. Oh, yeah, and uh, just like Food Fight, if you crash, you could get an instant replay, which you can cancel by turning the key. 
Uh, I, I do like the, the cancel feature. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I wish there. I, as much as I love the instant replay and food fight, I do wish it could cancel it. Yeah. But uh, you know, whatever. Food fight's still an awesome game even without that. So I would go over the scoring, but this is a racing game, so why bother? So uh, I'm gonna give you some trivia here. I got some uh, contradictory information here. Oh no. One source says that 1,668 units of these were produced in the U.S. and 200 in Ireland for European distribution. However, if you go by a list of the uh, production numbers for Atari games from 1989... Well, first of all, now before I go into the production numbers, I thought this was interesting. Most arcade games are like you have a cockpit, full cabinet, cabaret, and cocktail. Yeah. It's usually just uh, either the cockpit or uh, cocktail and either the full stand-up, or cabaret, usually. It's usually one of either two groups. Sometimes you get a combination. But mostly it's one of from, one from each of those groups. There are 15 different officially released cabinets. Wow. For, uh, for I did driving. not know that. And four of them are just international versions that were produced in Ireland for, say, like the UK, France, Germany, that sort of thing. But then there's 11 others, which are some combination of stand-up and cockpit. Cockpit! Which I can't find any information as to what the differences are. I still want to figure this out, because that what I was saying before about the rabbit hole, this is the sort of thing I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Where you get this information, now I'm like, I want to find out more about this. I had a time limit, didn't really have much time to do much re- to do the research I wanted to do on this, but... Uh, yeah, the extra month didn't help at all. <laughs> well, to be fair, my work schedule makes me tired. I've been yeah. waking up, it's yeah. anywhere between 10 and 11 in the morning in these Ugh. days. Yeah, I hate it. feel like I'm wasting time. but So I'm going to go back to the, the official sales number. So the hard drive and stand-up cost $7,995. Wow. It says with uh, something with a $100 rebate? Or it says W slash 12 S100 rebate. I can't tell if that's a dollar sign. No, it's just an S. And of that, 1,668 of the standard cabinets were sold with 200 uh, coming out of Ireland, so that's uh, 1868. And then 1,450 hard drive and compact cabinets at $5,495 were released. So that's uh, over slightly over uh, 3,000 uh, cabinets right there. And I can't find any other indications of hard drive on this list. Have you gotten a chance to look at this list? I shared it with you. I just did a quick browse through because I didn't see it until about five minutes before our ah. scheduled recording session. So In uh, 1995, oh no, this goes back further. In 1984, uh, 750 iRobot cabinets were produced. Marble Madness, 3,270. Oh, that's the total build. Oh, that list is uh, different than this other one. Here's something that I was interested in. This. I'm going to look this up. They have one called Gumball Rally, hmm. which 215 were in the U.S. and 100 in Ireland. So I'm wondering if that was like based on the movie from the 70s, which was the first PG-rated movie I ever saw. It was basically a, a road race movie, which was done by the people that eventually did the, um, not Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Cannonball Run films. So Never heard of the, this uh, movie you saw. They were promoting it hard at the arcade at uh, Jefferson Square Mall at that game place. I, I remember that. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, anyway, back to uh, hard driving. Let's go back to some more of the trivia. And I've shown you this before. Before each round, it'll show oh, you like yeah. a map of the tracks. And if you look at the main map on hard driving, you'll see there's like a little square just off to the side of the uh, the starting area. If you turn your car around at the start point, you'll 
notice there's a road going off to the right. If you go on this road, it'll give you the off-road timer, even though you're on a road. You can drive all the way down to this road, and for some reason, there's a gigantic tower in the middle. And I don't know why it's there. I haven't been able to find any source to, to tell me why it's there. But there's just a big tower with a bunch of barricades in front of it. Supposedly, those are skin pads in front of it. It's like the test skidding or something. But yeah. it's there. It's I mean, it's on the map. So obviously, they know it's there. I don't know if it was for something that they were meant to put in the game that they never got to. But if anybody out there knows what that's for, let us know. Email us at uh, piefactorypodcast at fab4it.com or piefactory at fab4it.com. And uh, let us know if you know what that tower is for. Now, is this something you found out on your own or did you read about it somewhere and seek it out? Honestly, I don't remember. I want to think that I found it on my own. But uh, when I did that, I'm pretty sure it was pretty well known by that time. Hmm. Oh, here's a little neat Easter egg. I guess it's not a little Easter egg. It's a nice, neat little touch in the game. There are a couple of cows in the game. The only one I know of off the top of my head is at the first uh, junction, right in front of a barn. If you run into the cow, the cow moves. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Uh, it's more You can he- uh, hear it more on any of the home ports or uh, hmm. if you emulate it at home, which this is not an easy game to emulate at home, by the way. No. Because of the steering and all of that can be done, but it's going to be difficult. Just warning you about that right now. You're better off just going to an arcade to play it or... Well, easy for us to say. You're better off going to an... Well, yeah. Yeah, but I, like I said, I'm sure it can be. You're going to be putzing with the uh, the controls and the setup in MAME for a long time yeah. to get it to your liking. This game actually emulates really well, though, uh, which is kind of uh, shocking given the, uh, you know, the intensity of the... Well, not the intensity, but... Uh, you know, math co-processor or whatever going into overdrive yeah. up to, to render the polygons. So I'm amazed at how well it renders. So uh, here's the interesting thing. Uh, I got this off of arcadehistory.com. And the credit screen lists uh, a guy named Doug Milliken as a test driver. This Doug Milliken guy was, at the time, the world's leading expert in car modeling. Huh. And they had him come in to do accurate car modeling to uh, mathematically figure out the physics of how the parts of the car, like the engine, transmission, springs, shock absorbers, tires, all that, react to each other, to the road, and to the input of the driver. The pioneer in this field, in the 50s, was William Milliken, uh, the guy's dad. So uh, Doug and his uh, dad wrote the book on car modeling. So that was a pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah. Sounded like they w- really wanted a touch of realism in this. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. It gets more interesting. Uh, when you figure, well, let's, I'll just go through down the uh, down the list here of trivia that I got on this. If your score is in the top ten list, you get to race another driver known as the Phantom Photon. Hmm. I don't remember what happens when you beat him because, like, I can get that far. Yeah. I didn't bother looking up a YouTube on this, but uh, there is a uh, bug in the game where uh, you can beat the Phantom Photon by going backwards. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to wonder if that's how part of the movie version of Ready Player One was influenced. I have not seen the movie. So many people hate the movie. I actually liked it, and I watched it after I read the book, and I loved the book. I think they actually did a good job with what they could do. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, back to hard driving. Sorry, Jimmy G, go right ahead. And we were talking about how this was... Uh, a uh, car simulation or whatever. Apparently, and this is according to IGN, the game was commissioned as a a police cruiser training simulation, which was not meant to be for the public. Huh. Whether that I don't know if that's true or not, but given Atari's 
history with this sort of thing, like the Bradley Trainer, which was based on uh, Battlezone, that would not surprise me. Mm-hmm. On the speed course, there's a camouflaged building. If you repo- approach it from behind, there's a sign above uh, its door that says, The Hut. Hmm. If you get close to a door on a building, you can see a keyhole in the door, which I thought was interesting. There are two unreleased sequels to this game. Oh? There's one called Street Driving, which was supposed to be released in 93, which had uh, upgraded physics. You could drive a police cruiser. And there was also a stock car track. Huh. And then a few years before that, there was one called Hard Driving's Airborne, in which the car sprouts wings and you can fly. Okay. These prototypes both made it to testing and they both were not very well received. And you can play both of them in MAME. Oh, nice. Street driving was basically because the new track just didn't offer anything new. And uh, Airborne, I think, was because it was a little harder to control because of the Airborne feature. Ah. If you're going to go for that sort of thing and you want polygons, I would probably suggest, even though I'm not a huge fan of the game and I only played it once, Steel Talons, Hmm. which is another Atari game. This is a helicopter simulator. This is the second commercially released arcade racing game to use 3D polygons. Namco's winning run was released two months earlier. And Uh interesting, when this game was being developed, Atari was partially owned by Namco, and they were working on this engine. Hard Driving was based on the earlier version of the uh, Polygon engine, and winning run, even though it was released two months earlier, was based on the later version of the Polygon engine, which was interesting. And um, the game tracks its progress around... Well, the track, by invisible waypoints, after you crash, the car is placed back on the track at the last waypoint you passed, regardless of how close you are to the next one. If you look on the map screen at the end of the game, you'll see flags along the path, which uh, those are where the invisible waypoints are. On to sequels. There's only a couple of sequels that were released. As far as in the arcade, there was a game called Race Driving, which... uh, from what I understand, you could network two of those machines Ooh, so cool. you could race each other. And uh, adds two new tracks. It adds an autocross track, which is to hard drive it what the test track is to pull position two. And it adds the super stunt track, which has banked curves that are banked even worse than the one oh, in no. hard driving. Oh, and you can play the two original tracks from hard driving on it too, by the way. Oh, nice. A corkscrew. Which, if you think the loop is difficult, you ain't seen anything yet. A loop with an upside-down jump. So it's a a loop, but there's like a portion (laughs) of the track missing at the top. And a feature called a top hat. What a top hat is, in roller coaster parlance, it's just the roller coaster goes straight up to the top and over and straight down. So Race Driving's got one of those. I don't think they were called top hats at the time because I don't think that concept was uh, in roller coasters as of yet. Huh. But uh, Top Thrill Dragster at Cedar Point has one of those. I've never been on one of these uh, roller coasters. King Ka at Six Flags Great Adventure has uh, has one as well. And I think there's another one in the U.S. somewhere. These are generally the tallest roller coasters. The one at uh, Cedar Point, I th- think, is the tallest roller coaster in the United States. No, 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 no. I think it's the one at Great Adventures, the tallest roller coaster in the United States because of that. There was a sequel on computers. Oh. It's called Hard Driving 2 on the Atari ST and Amiga. I knew this was out back then, but this uh, came with some new tracks, new custom tracks, and it also has a track construction kit. And I watched a video of this on YouTube, and 
Of course, it was sped up because who wants to watch somebody building a construct, you know, a new track or whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, I kind of want to check that out and try the uh, track construction kit to see what monstrosities <laughs> I can come up with. Let's talk about ports. Ports. Let's talk about ports. Let's talk huh. about ports. Oh, well, there's the Elizabeth Seaport in New Jersey, and uh, uh-huh. well, uh, actually, out by uh, Elwood, Illinois, is the there's an international port in Elwood. Oh. Uh, Joliet, Illinois area, is the largest inland port in the United States. Oh, because I did not of this, know yes, that. intermodal rail system. Huh. But uh, as far as ports of the game, it was available on the links in the Genesis. Uh, from what I understand, the Genesis port is pretty bad, and from what I understand, <laughs> the Lynx uh, version is pretty hard to control. Neither of them got pretty good uh, scores. There was a version of this program for the NES, but it's unreleased. But from what I understand, you can find the ROM out there. Oh, nice. I didn't get a chance to look up any YouTube videos of it. I imagine it's probably pretty bad, but, you know, I expected the NES port of, of Space Harrier to be pretty bad, but uh, actually it was pretty good, according hmm. as far as I'm concerned. As far as computer ports, okay, first of all, let's get this one out of the way. The Commodore C64 <laughs> had it. Did you see that video I showed you? I did watch a few seconds of it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it, it's pretty. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, you can <laughs> only get it as part of the Wheels on Fire compilation. I think the magazine's called Zap Sixty Four said it was one of the worst ports on the Sixty Four. Oh, it looked pretty bad. I know. I'm pretty sure that the C Sixty Four could have done much better. But I think the thing that offended me more than the graphics was the sound. I know the C64 could do better on the sound department on that. It does have a pretty good sound processor, the uh, SID chip. Mm-hmm. It was also available on the uh, Atari ST, Amstrad CPC, uh, Sinclair ZX, uh, ZX Spectrum. Yeah. It was available for MS-DOS. It was also available on the Commodore Amiga. This is interesting. When somebody bought the Amiga version, there was a questionnaire contest they had with the first five people to answer correctly got a free model Ferrari F4 car, and uh, cool. yeah, it was uh, one-eighteenth the size of an actual car. So yeah, I, I could have gotten more trivia, more information <laughs> on this thing. This, again, I want to know more about the differences in the cabinets, and I think that alone you could probably spend yeah. weeks on trying to figure that one out. But uh, obviously I don't generally count international versions, but if they're counting different international versions in this, then there must be something different with the cabinets other than just the language. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, games like, say, well, even Bagman probably had the same sort of cabinet worldwide, but uh, I'm curious on this one. So, uh, Sean, what do you think of the game? I don't know what I think of the game, to be quite honest, because part of me wants to not like it because it just doesn't seem to be... That there's a, a real goal to it. It seems more like a proof of concept mm-hmm. than anything. But at the same time, like just last night I was playing it at Underground Retrocade and I was having a really good time. I probably played about 10 games in a row on that thing. And um, it's good for, if nothing else, for exploration. I do like the mm-hmm. uh, probably unintended exploratory aspect of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, you got that going for it. I don't like the steering wheel. The steering wheel is kind of fussy. Uh, not in terms yeah. of control, but in terms of movement, how it doesn't quite center exactly as you think it would. Right. The thing with the, the steering wheel is uh, it's one of those uh, instances where there's like a little motor in it that like makes it wiggle if you're like yeah. if you're like skidding and stuff like that. That that takes a lot of getting used to. 
And I did play the Amiga version before, and I did not like the Amiga version. Uh, mind mm-hmm. you, this has been, it's been a long time since I played the Amiga version. It was, it was sometime in the 90s. But uh-huh. I remember wanting to like it, but I just could not. And I think it was simply because, and this is a common problem with driving games on home systems. Without uh-huh. a steering wheel, you just cannot get a reasonable control on it. So I had to use a joystick, and it just didn't quite work. I couldn't get very far in it at all. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And yeah, and I think the graphics weren't as good as they could have been. Uh huh. Well, I think this is the issue. You said you played it in the nineties. Yeah. It was time for Clax, so, I mean, come on. It's not that the 90s was the time for Clax. It's just that in the 90s, there was time for Clax. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. And I did play Clax on the Amiga back in the 90s quite a lot. I still say it's the best version. I do agree with you about the control. Uh, I had it on the Atari ST, and while I liked the game, it was still pretty difficult to control with a mouse. Mm. Uh, I won't, wouldn't even try it with a joystick. I don't even know if that was an option, to be to be honest. I still had some fun with it, and one thing I liked about the ST version is it, it still moved if you ran into a cow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about li- the Amiga version, but it very well probably does. It was louder on the ST version than it was in the arcade, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I would give the Atari ST version a middling review. It wasn't terrible, and I played it, but uh, yeah, I preferred the arcade version. And... Again, this this game was, if IGN is correct, started as a simulation for police department cruiser training. And uh, if that's the case, then I can understand where some of your criticisms come from. Yeah, exactly. Like, when you said that part before, I immediately thought, okay, that explains a lot. Mm -hmm. It's not really a racing game, even though there's racing aspect to it where you have to get to the next checkpoint in time, you know, beat the timer sort of thing, which pretty much... There's a standard in these sort of games. And then, of course, if you do get in the top 10 list, you do get to actually run a real race. Oh, and by the way, one thing with race driving, and I don't know if this is in hard driving, I have, wasn't able to confirm it, but in race driving, if you get into a certain, on, I think on the super stunt track, if you get in like the top 10, the game remembers your race. And if somebody else gets into the top 10, they race you. Huh. So that's a really neat feature. That is really cool. Nothing I'll ever get to see. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I, that is a really neat feature that it has that. So, yeah, I, 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 you know what? I want to see a video of that. Yeah, I would actually rather to see it with my own eyes. But, uh, you know, like I said, I'll never see it. <laughs> I do think that there's a lot of neat little things in this, but polygons, it's kind of hard. You know, the tower I thought was a neat find. Made me want to explore the game more, but I haven't found anything else. And I love how the cows moo when you run into them. Yeah. That's kind of funny. I do like the watching the instant replays. Uh, they show you crashing and exploding and stuff like that. And they show it from a different angle, too. Yes, yeah. They show it from outside your car. It's like, holy cow, my car got pushed back quite a lot. <laughs> I do like how you can uh, choose automatic or, or manual yeah, transmission. I, I never do manual. Do manual. I can't either. My uncle tried teaching me how to drive manual when I was a kid. I... Couldn't do it. I always stalled the engine. Oh, yeah, and if you do it wrong, you can stall the engine in this game, yep, by the way. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> screw this. I'm switching back to automatic. Yep. You know, for Polygon graphics, it's it's a pretty good-looking game. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's do this before we go on. Let's uh, Do we have high scores? Yeah, and uh, I found the scoring, not the scoring, but the scorekeeping kind of curious because you have two options. You have 
the speed track and you have the stunt track. So I'm thinking the uh, two main scorekeeping boards that I refer to, they probably have different tracks for each of them. No, they don't. They don't have them. Twin Galaxies only has one track. And uh, for that one, they show Martin James with the high score of 241,243. Much better than my 40-some thousand. (laughs) And uh, he scored that on uh, August 1st, 2015, or at least that's when he submitted it. And uh, over on Orcade.com, and this is on the machine that I played at Underground Retrocade last night, by the way. Uh, Justin Richlick, I'm going to guess is the uh, pronunciation. Justin, if you're hearing this and I mispronounced, I apologize. On March 24th, 2019, on that machine, on that actual machine, Justin scored 197,169. Again, uh, better than my 40-some thousand. And uh, what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of different uh, occurrences of uh, hard driving. Like there's... Oh, they they had one at Pixel Blast. Rest in peace. Good Lord. Uh, Sturgis, Michigan, they have one. Red. Oh, Yestercades in Red Bank has uh-huh. it. Uh, I didn't really expect there to be so many occurrences of hard driving. Arcadia in Ride UK has it. Uh-huh. Arcade Impossible, somewhere in Illinois. Huh, just says Illinois. 815 area, so... Hmm. Run by the host of Arcade Impossible, Greg Hansen. I think he's a oh. YouTuber. Let's find out. Anyway. Yep, he is a YouTuber. 12,000 subscribers, 68 videos. This guy's name is Greg. Is that the guy? I guess so. So I just subscribed to his Facebook page. So, on a scale of 1 to 5, let me pull up the uh, playlist here. Or not the playlist, but the game list. What dost thou rate hard driving? So scale of 1 to 5 continues. Inclusive, that is. Um... Inclusive. And no point whatevers. Yeah, we've never done a point. Um, We have not. It's all integral ratings. I have to say three. Okay. I mean, again, because it just seems like there's some kind of element to it missing. And it might, again, fall back to that whole thing about how it may have been Uh intended to be a simulator rather than a game. Mm Mm-hmm. Because as we know, when the police are training, they always uh, do a loop-to-loop, so... Oh, of course. It's one of those games that I really want to like. Mm-hmm. I found myself playing it over and over and over, but at the same time, once I walked away from hard drive and I'm thinking, hmm, I can do without this for a while. So I'm, I'm going to have to say three. I think I understand where you're coming from. And I think the problem with the game, I'm looking at this from your perspective, is I think the game, it's basically its looks. Early polygons. And because of that, the game really is sparse with the scenery. Hmm. You might see like uh, the jump coming ahead or a building or a cow, but there's really not a whole lot to look at. No grass, no trees, no nothing. It's just all flat plains, basically, that you're seeing. And I think that detracts from the game a little bit. I'm going to rate it a four. This isn't a game that I keep going back to, but I have fond memories of it because I did own the ST version. And I've really kind of liked this game from the first time I played it, which we didn't talk about. First time I ever played this, I want to think, was at the Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, Illinois, at the Aladdin's Castle Arcade. Oh, one thing uh, I did like also about the cockpit mode, and the, well, at least the one that I played, is uh, you can adjust the seat back and forth. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so that was a nice little feature. I did not know that. Is it a stand-up at uh, Retrocade? Well, it has a seat. It's not, okay. it's not environmental. 
Okay. You sit okay. down to play it, but it looks like a stand-up? Yeah. The, the first time I played it, it was an environmental, and it had a, an adjustment on the seat, and you could push that the seat back cool. and forth. Yeah. So, yeah, they, that just goes to show you they were really intent on making it a simulator. I don't think there's much that this game could do to push it into five territory for me. Uh, I think it's a solid four. I don't see me liking this more. But having a little bit more in the way of scenery would probably... It, it wouldn't, still wouldn't push it into five territory for me, but uh, I enjoy it. I go back to it every now and then, and uh, solid game. I think it's fun. I'm going to rate it a four, but I think if we ever do race... You know what? We're probably never going to do race driving because it doesn't really have that much in the way of uh, additional uh, features. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would still rate race driving a four as well. Okay. But we're not talking about that one, but I mean, it's got a different track, and it's got that uh, the race feature... And it's got the um, the networking capability, but it's essentially the same game. So yeah, they're going to both be a four. Like I said, we're only doing the first one, uh-huh. but um, I just wish they could have filled up some of the empty space with something more. But that's probably just the limitation of the hardware. But now that uh, we're talking about it, though, I'm curious as to what that uh, what was that Namco game Winning Run looks like. You know what? I'm going to take a quick look at it right now. Hold on a second. Okay. In the meantime, why don't we have a word from our underwriter? The embarrassment and frustration of a bedwetting problem for a child or adult is almost beyond belief. It can cause poor school adjustment, low self-esteem, plus other personality problems. Now, thanks to Trainex, bedwetting can be stopped. Mothers, if you have a child over the age of five, don't wait. Act now. For free information to stop bedwetting problems, write Trainex. 1500 Skokie Road, Northbrook, Illinois, or call 272-3500, 272-3500. You know, speaking of underwriter, probably about three or four years ago, my wife uh-huh. and I watched uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian, and literally the next day we walked over to the beach and where the Chicago Transit Authority red line runs along Broadway, uh-huh. we walked under an overpass for the red uh-huh. line. And in one of the pillars in the overpass, I swear, somebody had written Romani Ite Dolmen or whatever. Oh, God. <laughs> the next day we saw it. It's, you're kidding me. Okay, I couldn't get Winning Run to Run in Maine because it's one of those deals where um, Namco decided to do something stupid with the splitting up the ROMs and all that. Or actually, I think that's the Maine Devs. Oh, I forgot to mention on the Super Stunt track in, or is it the Autocross track, in Race Drive, in one of them, there's actually a tunnel. Uh, this game winning run by Namco gets a, is a lot less plain. Oh, here's a scene where they got like, uh, palm trees along the side and all of that. This is a lot less sparse than hard driving. So yeah, so I'm gonna have to play that. That looks fun. Hmm. Well, Lakemont Park in Altoona, Pennsylvania allegedly has winning run 91. This one says 88. There's uh from what I've looked at on YouTube, there's uh, several different versions of yeah. winning run. I'm wondering if it's just like ROM updates or yeah, if that's, that's actual name my of the thought game, but too. But anyway, Ghost doesn't have it then, eh? Nah. Okay. So let's uh, move on to say, uh, oh, Stun Runner. Oh, Stun Runner. Uh huh. Welcome, Stun Runner. Yes, uh, Stun Runner. By the way, it's actually spelled out as an abbreviation: S period, T period, U period, N period. Runner. Now here's the thing. That there are periods in there, doesn't that tell us that we're actually supposed to spell that out? 
Because if it were an acronym that you pronounce, there wouldn't be periods in there, unless I'm Ooh, missing something. That's a good point. So maybe the real name is STUN Runner. Hmm. Because you know what? STUN stands for Spread Tunnel Underground Network. Oh, that's a neat uh, acronym. Yeah, and I'm going to claim ignorance on here because I don't know where it is said that that's what the abbreviation stands for because it's not in the attract mode in the game. As far as I can tell, it's not on the cabinet, but hey, who am I to question, right? Well, let's see if there's a stun runner manual out there. Oh, yeah, you and your manuals. But in the meantime, anyway, hey, uh, Stun Runner, I'm just going to call it Stun Runner. That game was released in September 1989 in North America by Atari Games. Gee, just like Hard Driving was. And it was released in Japan by Namco, uh, as you were saying, Jimmy G, uh, Namco and Atari. Uh. Okay, real quick, the manual does call it Spread Tunnel Underground Network. This okay, is the official cool. manual from Atari. Okay, cool. So, actually, Namco and Sega both released it in Japan, and in Europe, oh, wow. Stun Runner was released by Jalico, or Jalco, or Jaleco. I always called it Jalico, but who knows how it's pronounced. Yeah, I, th- I think that's how uh, uh, Victor and uh, Sean say it, but ah. over there in uh, the Europe. Anyway, hey. Over in the Europe. Stun Runner is a 3D-ish racing game with a shooting element. Uh, Think of a very futuristic road blasters, except that instead of a car, you're piloting something that kind of looks like a ground-based spaceship. And instead of flat roads, you're also traveling through tunnels and at speeds going over 900 miles per hour. You know what the vehicle kind of reminds me of? The game reminds me, well, the game, but maybe the vehicle too, kind of reminds me of the pod racing scene in um, Star Wars Phantom Menace. I'm trying to remember that because I I watched that once and I don't really remember. Yeah, it's an easy movie to forget. I I liked it. I really did. I just don't remember what the vehicle looked like, but I I know exactly what you're talking about. But Yeah, and uh, some fun facts that I found. Some fun facts. (laughs) Hoo-hoo. The game was conceived by Carol Cameron, oh, who suggested that they do a game in which the player races exclusively through tunnels against other AI players. But what happened was the game evolved into a racing game in which it's not that you're racing against other racers, but you're racing against a clock. Mm-hmm. And you're going through tunnels and also not through tunnels. That's what it is, a racing game in which you beat time and uh, you want to make it through 22 heats so you can reach the 23rd heat, which is an unending level called the Ultimate Challenge. Oh, and uh, you shoot enemies too, so that was in the game. And by the way, Carol Cameron, she is credited... The credits in the game are really weird because it doesn't say programmer, it doesn't say sound engineer or whatever. Uh-huh. But Carol Cameron's credit in the game is blue sky huh i don't know exactly what that's supposed to mean (laughs) but uh, carol was a producer and senior design engineer at atari from 1978 until 1996 Uh uh-huh and according to her linkedin profile which by the way has not been updated in quite a while she then moved on to lockheed martin for many years in mechanical design so it's interesting that we have somebody who works on spacecraft who came up with this game. Huh. Speaking of uh, spacecraft and all that, uh, the control panel I always like to talk about, but before I even talk about that, the arcade cabinet is kind of weird. It's I love this cabinet. I love it, and I also don't love it, because when you think about it, like how the cabinet looks compared to how your actual vehicle looks, 
Uh-huh. It's obviously meant to simulate you sitting in the vehicle. You sit down on this red thing and it has it has the flight yoke on it. But the thing is the cabinet, the vehicle you're sitting on, it's very rectangular, but in the game it's very ornate and everything. And uh you're talking here to a guy who rides a bike as much as possible, like at least a couple of times a week. So I'm used to putting my legs over and around a fairly thin frame. I almost uh-huh. fell off the thing getting off oh, of the geez. game when I was done because I'm not <laughs> used to having my legs that far apart. Truth be told, I do have a little trouble getting in and on and off of this thing because of my height more so than anything. Well, yeah, I'm I'm tall. T- I'm not as tall as you, but I, I have that going against me, too. But uh, your flight yoke has some triggers on it that shoots lasers and a start button that kind of does double duty. It does more than just start the game, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, And if I may, if I may, a few years ago, Arcade 1UP released that uh, Star Wars cabinet, which had Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. And I was thinking of other games that could have been put on that, like Firefox uses Mm -hmm. the same control scheme. If you think about it, Paperboy does. Stun Runner would have been an excellent Easter egg for that ah, as well. I bet you could run it off that with ease, yeah. You might be able to. People have hacked those things. But anyway, I'm going to almost semi-rely on you to interrupt me in a few places because you probably know the game better than I do, even after my okay. research here. So, uh, sure. But anyway, the goal is simply to complete each level or heat. Uh, that's Most people call these things in video games racks, but because this is a race, it's called a heat. Uh, you want to complete each heat as fast as possible. It's a heat rack. Ooh, nice. There's uh, no accelerator pedal, which I actually like because I really hate dealing with accelerator pedals in video oh, games. Oh, God, yes. I agree with you. Yes, definitely. But basically, you uh, your vehicle accelerates automatically, and there are several ways to help that acceleration happen. For one thing, you want to navigate on the fastest parts of the tunnels. Uh, For example, there might be a path of green stars. Run over those green stars, and that'll pretty much guarantee that you're on the fastest Mm -hmm. way you can get there. And also, when the tunnel curves, you want to be on the wall that's opposite of where the curve is curving toward. So Mm -hmm. go on the outer wall, not the inner wall. Now, here's the thing. I think it tells you to stay off the ceiling in the tunnel when the tunnel comes to an end. Uh-huh. And uh, I actually tried to stay on the ceiling when the tunnel comes to an end, and it doesn't appear to let me for some reason. Huh. So I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, uh, another way you can help aid your acceleration is to stay off the side rails when you're going through flat sections in the races. Uh-huh. And as with any other racing game, a collision will slow you down. So avoid collisions with your enemies and obstacles. And by the way, one of those enemies is a uh, indestructible drone, a big gray thing that you can't destroy. You'll know it's indestructible because when you try to shoot it away, it'll stop and give you a little message saying, uh, no, that's indestructible. Bye-bye. It's quote unquote indestructible. Yeah, right. Which we'll get to, I'm sure. And another way to speed up is to run over these uh, red and yellow flashing boost pads. They'll speed you up and they will also grant you temporary invincibility. I love that when you get on one of those pads, when you have the invincibility, your ship dissolves all panels and it's just wireframe at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's a neat touch. Oh, yeah. Also, you're supposed to avoid areas that are under construction because those will slow you down. And how do you know if you're going to be approaching some construction? Well, at the beginning of every heat, you are presented with a 
map of that particular heat. And it'll Did you say map? Map? Maps? There's maps in this game? Maps? I love maps. There maps, are maps, maps in this game. Yeah. Oh, maps, maps, maps. I want a map. That's right. Show you're me. A, tell me. You're tell, a cartophile. I forgot about that. But cartophile. Yeah, and, and it's color-coded to tell you where there are narrow tunnels, wide tunnels, narrow non-tunnels, wide non-tunnels, construction zones, and um, all that good stuff. It's going to tell you where there are booster pads where there are shock waves and by the way shock waves are special weapons that you can pick up that uh, when you trigger them by pressing the start button <laughs> there's the other double duty of the start button basically that thing is going to act as a smart bomb it's going to destroy all the objects and enemies that are in your way on the screen at that particular time including the indestructible i don't know i don't know i don't remember i really I think it don't remember. does I want to say it does too. By the way, like a lot of Atari games eventually started to do, like for example, Millipede does this. Stun Runner does this too. You can choose which level to start with. Uh, you can start with the first heat, which is really meant to be just a practice run. Uh, it's called Cakewalk. Yes. And mm -hmm. if you start with that particular heat, you'll get a whole intro sequence of your pilot walking out into the... Uh, starting area mm -hmm. and then the vehicle is actually built around that pilot sort of iron man-ish in a way i'll take your word for it i love that sequence that's a neat sequence. it is pretty neat yeah if you start at the other options though the sixth heat which is called outer drive uh -huh. or the 11th heat which is called the labyrinth and that's for advanced players you don't get that intro sequence i always start with the beginning one because me too uh, yeah, I suck at this game. Oh, big time for me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll talk about the scoring right now. You can uh, score points by destroying things. If you destroy a train, you only get 25 points. That's That seems like a pretty minuscule amount for such a complicated vehicle. If you destroy an armored drone that is not indestructible, you get 50 points. If you destroy a mag cycle, that's 75 points. Now, here's something interesting. This game, which was developed in the United States, has a lorry in it. That is such a British term. <laughs> if you destroy a lorry, you get 100 points. A lorry carrying lose. I can't promise that. But anywho, if you destroy an Ornabot or a chopper bot, you get 500 points. Destroy a radar bot, you get 750 points. You destroy a proton bot, you get 1,000 points, or as we say in Chicago, 1,000 points. If you destroy a terrigible or terrigible, I don't know how that's pronounced, you get 10,000 points. What is that? I don't know. I've never seen one because I suck at the game. At this game. <laughs> but the shield bonus, uh, you're, when you go through the races, you might collide with uh, different obstacles and enemies, which will, of course, detract from your shield. You get a shield bonus at the end of the heat, providing that you finish it in time, of course. If you have one shield left, you get 250 points. And then basically it doubles from there. Like, for example, if you have two shields left, you get 500 points all the way up to six. And if you have six shields left, you get 8,000 points. There are some warps in the game. I think you have to be playing a certain version of the ROM to use a warp. And if you successfully execute a warp, you get a 20,000 point bonus. Every red star you run over, you get 50 points. And every green star, you get 500 points. And remember how I said that you can start at heat 6 or heat 11? 
Well, if you do that, then you get a 50,000 point bonus for finishing that level six. Nice. If you start at level 11, you get 100,000 points for finishing at level 11. That's another common thing with uh, uh, Atari games that let you start at later points. You might get heftier bonus. Oh, you know what? Also, Snake Pit does that too, where the later you start, the heftier a bonus you get for clearing the round. True. I think I might have mentioned oh, that. Oh, and I should add to uh, hard driving that, uh, yeah, you don't get a, a bonus for uh, starting for doing one track over the other, by the way. I mentioned that there are boost pads. Uh, one of the nice things about the boost pads is you get a bonus of 200 points. And if you run over consecutive boost pads, you get increasing values of bonus points. It increases by 200 points for each consecutive boost pad you get. So you can really rack up a good number of bonus points by following those boost pads. And by the way, at the end of a heat, you are given a bonus of 100 points per tenth of a second that is left on the clock. Oh, wow. So, yay. That's uh, pretty nifty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I should probably talk about what you also see on the screen during the gameplay. Like, at the very bottom of the screen, you have kind of a statistics panel, if you will. Oh, I didn't even mention that with uh, with hard driving, because hard driving's got all of the typical stuff, like your, you know, your speed yeah. and your fuel. And, oh, one thing I noticed with hard driving, and I never noticed this until we went to the Galloping Ghost to play it, is the fuel meter starts out at full, and as your time runs out, the fuel meter slowly goes down to empty. Dude, is it just... I or does the gas mileage on your car and hard driving really suck? Oh God, yes, it is awful. Oh man, <laughs> yes. And you also got a visual representation of the uh, the gear shift as well. Yeah, and your score is down there at the bottom. Also, the thing is, so even I if you that. even if you set it to automatic, it's still going to reflect if yes. you do change it again with hard driving. It's one of those games. There's so much that I was looking at. I've totally forgot about that part of the game. But the equivalent over in Stunrunner, at the very bottom of the screen, you have three sections, a left, a middle, and a right. And on the left side, you'll see your time, your score, what level you're on, and the and I believe your best time. And in the middle, you'll see your speedometer. And on the bottom right, you have the number of boosts that you've accumulated, the number of kills that you've made in that level, and the number of stars that you acquired. Some fun stuff uh, going on fun. here. Uh, fun factage, at least. Fun. You have uh, brought up the website, The Cutting Room Floor, quite a lot, tcrf.net. That's going on our uh, show notes, at least. Probably a permanent entry on our website eventually. Yeah, no kidding. So I actually remembered to look up this game, and uh, there is a little XML code you can stick in. Uh, it says put it in stunrun.xml, which I don't have, and I don't know where exactly that would go. I don't know if it goes in a cheats directory or what. But apparently, if you put that code in and activate the cheats at the right time, you will be given the option to run a test course that was designed simply for the programmer's purposes where it's just a straight ahead no turns tunnel and it's a pretty short one hmm. i've not been able to uh, look into that myself i wasn't able to figure out how to do that and also i talked about the uh, cabinet we both talked about the cabinet how it's basically a little approximation of what your vehicle looks like i have reason to believe that at least there was an a regular upright cabinet that was at least conceived somewhere because if you look at all the ROMs available, there is a specific upright ROM made for this. 
and uh, I played it. I don't see any difference, but uh, that must tell me that somewhere either that I could not find or maybe it never actually was released is a standard upright version. So I, I don't know if anybody knows uh, Pie Factory at Fab4IT.com or Pie Factory Podcast at Fab4IT.com or hit us up on the social media. Uh, one other thing that I noticed, uh, I mentioned before how in the high score table, the default high score table that is before you start uh, scoring well and wiping it out, you'll notice that there are some names in there that are kind of nicknames for some of the uh, development team from the game. Uh, there are some other weird ones in here that aren't obvious to uh, which developers and which staffers they are, if they are indeed corresponding to staffers. I noticed that one of the names was The Potato, P-O-T-A-T-O-E. Keep in mind, this game came out in September of 1989, so this was almost three years before the famous Dan Quayle potato incident. So I thought that was an interesting little coincidence. But anyway, going on, um, we like to mention the home versions. I never heard of Stun Runner. I'm going to be honest with you until okay. you. Uh, real quick, real quick. Uh, as far as the XML goes, there yes. is a folder called Hash. Oh, okay. And uh, this is their XML files stored here. I do not see one for Stun Runner. But uh, there are definitely XML files in it. Okay, maybe you just create one or something. But it's specifically said to enable cheats when you get to a certain point. I don't... thing is, if you're running from the command line, you can't really do that. Right. You'd have Let's to enable here. enable the cheats right when you start. So you might have to use a GUI or something. Unless there's a, another directory inside this one that i got to look at, but I don't see it. It's mostly... Uh like XML files for different platforms though. So I'm wondering if there's a different directory. I there probably look is. At. It might be like in the cheats directory or something. Oh, you know what? Let me look at that. I wonder if I'm in my in a wrong meme directory here. Hold on. Might be, but anyway, let me continue, continue with uh, continue. my thoughts. Uh, like I said, we like to talk about home versions, as you all know by now. I was surprised that there are home versions of Stun Runner because I never heard of it until you suggested that we talk about this game. So uh, I found that there are home versions for Atari ST, Atari Lynx, Commodore 64, interestingly, Sinclair ZX Spectrum, which tells me it's probably also on the Timex Sinclair, Amstrad CPC, and Amiga and MS-DOS, believe it or not. And of course, there are some uh, modern versions that are basically like PlayStation emulations and things, but... One time I owned a Lynx. I didn't own Stun Runner, but I borrowed it from someone who, had, who owned a Lynx, and... Uh... Wow, it's really fun on the links. Really? So, cool. Yes, it's really good. It seems to me they, that somebody should make a Jaguar version of it. Yeah, that'd be a great addition to that library. But speaking of uh, never hearing of Stun Runner until you brought it up as a game to cover for this podcast, the first time I ever played this game was September 10th, 2022 at Galloping Ghost. I remember if you go to the Ghost, I think it's one of the little divisions off to the left. At least as of the when we were there uh, a little over a month or almost a month ago. The uh, first place I played it, I want to think again, was at the Alans Castle, Louis Joliet. Well, <laughs> as for hard driving, I don't remember. I, I want to say it was Galloping Ghost or the Underground Retrocade because I never really saw it in the arcades at the time. I first time I ever played any kind of hard driving was probably the Amiga version, maybe Commodore sixty four, but I doubt it. I'm looking for information on this XML file. Oh. And I ran into the site talking about the ROMs. It's based on the hard drive and so, uh, hardware. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should have assumed that, 
But uh, yeah, it says here the MAME driver sources hard drive that. Yeah, I, in fact, when you load it up in MAME, you'll notice that that's what's lo- it is loading yeah. a hard drive huh. in engine basically and uh i'm going to talk about the high scores uh, this time i'll go alphabetical order by uh scoreboard uh so orcade.com uh looks like on december 5th 2016 at the ghost stephen lucas scored 200,485 and twin galaxies is showing a submission from may 5th 2009 by blaine locklayer scoring 794,250 which is way beyond anything I'll ever hope to do on this game of uh, Stun Runner. And something really stuck out to me. Stun Runner, I think it influenced the Wipeout series. Mm, because I can see that. when I first played Stun Runner, I'm thinking, man, this reminds me so much of Wipeout 2097, which I had on my uh, last Amiga, which was uh, the next gen Amiga that runs off the, uh, the G3 processor. So it's able to play games like that. So I had the Amiga version of Wipeout 2097, and damned if it doesn't look just like Stun Runner and play like it too. Except you're actually hovering; you're not riding on a surface. But yeah, that uh, that is Stun Runner. Uh, Jimmy G, what are your what can you say about Stun Runner? Well, I can say that I really like this game a lot. I like the uh, cabinet presentation. Unlike Hard Drive, this game is not sparse with the visuals. There are some tunnels that there are just like lines going down. They look like neonish, which are really neat. And the backgrounds are amazing. And uh, I think overall, this has a much better visual presentation than hard driving, even though it's based on the same hardware. I love its sense of speed. This game is built for speed, no more, no less. And uh, I don't know of any other game in the arcade that, that I've played so far, at least that I can think of, that shows you, has this... I don't know, presentation of speed as this game does. And that's one of its really huge strong points, I think. And um, there's something we've got to add to the podcast. Uh, As far as the audio goes, when you uh, start a run, it says, good luck. (laughs) We need to add that into our opening or our closing at some point. You'll need it. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's that one. Add it to either the opening or closing. I love that voice (laughs) because it's so... uh, It's not comedic like in uh, in Smash TV. It's just matter of fact. Good luck. I've <laughs> never noticed it. How have I missed oh, no? it? Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, it says good luck. Well, then again, it might be that it, when I played it as a ghost, it might have been just too noisy in general to yeah, really detect true. it. Yeah, that's true. I could barely hear the moo in uh, hard driving. So. And when I played it at home, I might have had the volume down. The ghost is a great place, but it's loud. So it's hard to pick up some nuances. And I've always complained that when I play Gyrus over there, I can't hear the music because it's that, just the Oh, that's the whole reason loud. to play Gyrus, too, is the music. Well, I mean, it's a fun game, but the, the music adds a whole... whole it's yeah. integral to the game. Anyway, uh, let's talk about how we would rate Stun Runner on our Pie Factory scale of 1 to 5 continues. So, yes, let us do that. And I will... Uh, I'll, I'll rate it first. Oh. I'm going to give this a 4. Mm-hmm. I'm very tempted to give it a five, but I think it's going to stay at four for the time being. That probably go up in the future. This is a fun game. Like I said, if you just want speed, this is the game to play. I mean, this is not a, a cutesy game. It's not meant to be. No. But uh, it's one of the more futuristic-looking games I've played. And uh, when it comes to futurism in general, futurism 
does not age well in general. If you look at the way that Disney built a Tomorrowland back in the 60s, that was their conception of the future back then. Yeah. They've had to remodel Tomorrowland over there several times Dude. to keep up with the prevailing images of the future. Yeah. Speaking of Tomorrowland, my wife and I were in Disneyland in 2016. We went there for a day. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't go on it because partly because there was a big three-hour wait and we didn't think it was going to be worth it. They had uh, Space Mountain rethemed as Hyperspace Mountain with a Star, Star Wars, Wars theme. Yeah. I, they might still have it like that. I'm not sure. Uh, you know I'm what my problem that. with that is? Star Wars. No. What? When does Star Wars take place? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So what exactly makes that qualified to be in Tomorrowland if it takes place in the past? That's a good point. But what I'm more interested in, at Disneyland Tokyo, they introduced a uh, roller coaster themed around Tron Legacy, where you get on light cycles just like they are in the movie, and uh, it's very futuristic looking, and they're building it at Disney World Florida. Hmm. And I am not a fan of Disney at all. But I would definitely go there and pay just to ride that. But hmm. at any rate, my point is conceptions of the future don't age well. That's just the nature of it because our conceptions of the future change as time goes yep. on. And sometimes they look, oh, this nice, cheery, happy future. Sometimes it's post-apocalyptic. Sometimes, you know, you get all of these gleaming white buildings. Sometimes it's ruined. Stunrunner's conception of the future, I think, still holds up to this day. Well, thing is, when does Stunrunner take place? I don't know. I think it specifically takes place in the 21st century. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. So basically, we have a long way to go if we're going to get this stuff out in time, you know? And I think it's like set in like 2058 or something. I'm going to rate Stun Runner also a three continues, but the thing is, maybe with a little more experience, I might be able to be pushed over into the four territory because I can see that it's definitely got a lot going for it. I agree with the whole speed aspect of it. It renders beautifully. I'm amazed that, I'm amazed that the Atari Lynx version renders the speed as well as it does because that's a handheld compared to an arcade machine that has yeah. way much more power. So you got to give kudos to the uh, the programmers of the uh, the Lynx version. And and one thing I don't like about uh, the arcade stun runner is again how you have to sit on that thing. It's I, I don't like that. Well, you know, to each their own. I get your points though. I can see where that would be a uh, issue for you. I mean, we are not short people. No. Oh, did I just see something interesting here? Oh no! Hold on! Hold Uh-oh. on! Hold on! No. No. Hold on. I got I got to confirm this. I got to confirm this. What I just found out. Stun Runner was released on my 21st birthday. Oh. September 11th, 1989. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yay, a birthday present for me. That's its uh, North American release, by the way. In Europe it was November and Japan it was December of the same year. Hey, was anything released on October 3rd? Let's see. October 3rd. Oh, happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. This week in video game history, October 3rd through 9th. Doesn't look like anything interesting. Cars, I wonder, what day is your birthday on this year? It was Monday. It was a Monday? I wonder if it's, uh, since there's seven days in a week, it's like never fallen on like a Friday or whatever. It rarely falls on a Friday, and I feel, I get pissed about that. So I can't find anything, but I am going to look into that. That's an interesting question. But anyway, that's uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Three continues. Well, maybe I won't stick to it. Maybe I could be nudged into four. 
We've changed our opinions on games before. You nudged me from a four to a five on Tron. Yeah. So, but that was during the show. Uh, oh, what movie was it? I was watching old episodes of Siskel and Ebert, and they're having a discussion about a movie, and I don't remember which one it was. And one of them voted no on the movie. The other voted yes. And the one who voted yes convinced the other one to change his vote to a yes on the movie during huh. the show recording. So it went to thumbs up? Went to thumbs up. So that's interesting. I love watching old episodes of the of Siskel and Ebert, man. They were such a treasure. Didn't agree with them a lot of times, and I agreed with them. And they were always entertaining regardless of the movie. So, wow, we're done with yeah. Almost. Yeah, Almost. We still, we still have to say what the theme was of these games, and we yeah, also have a, a little bit of feedback. Emails. You want to do the email? You want to do the feedback first? Yeah, yeah. Let's take care of that. So. F e e d b a c feedback, feedback, feedback. I'll go first uh, since you just talked for a long time. Uh-huh. So, first of all. Our friend Eugenio. Eugenio. Hi, Eugenio. Oh, I hope he's okay. Oh, yeah. that's He's in the Miami area, though. I don't think they got much of anything. Okay, good, good. I think. I mean, it sugar. it's for anybody who gets. Oh, gosh, yes. Eugenio, correct us if you're wrong. If Well, if you have power. Yeah. If you're not having power, then how can you hear what I just said? Except in the future. For that is where you and I will spend the rest of our lives. So, so anyway, Eugenio says Greetings, Jim and Sean. Greetings. I hope all is well. Things are good on my end and busy as always, which, again, you had the hurricane, so let us know how you're doing, man. Uh, we're, uh, we're a little concerned. Anyway, he continues, I went to Nashville on a business trip just last week, and it was a nice change of pace. The weather was also very nice, which I was told had not been the case until I got there. It was just a short trip, but just breaking the routine was a welcome change. I totally know where you're coming from on that one. Uh, in any case, how about I switch gears... I'm assuming the pun or the wordplay was not intended and give you the feedback for today's games. One, hard driving. This Atari game is one I have never played in the arcade. I have, however, played two home versions, the Atari Lynx and the Genesis ports. The game is meant to be more a simulation as one of the first games that used 3D polygon graphics. It's my understanding that the arcade machine even had forced feedback on the steering wheel, yes it did, to add to the realism of the simulation. Clearly, that is not something that I've experienced with either Genesis or the Lynx, so I'm not sure how effective that was. The games do look pretty good, and both the Genesis and the Lynx versions are pretty faithful to the original arcade game. Sound effects are rather sparse as you only have the engine sounds, wheel skidding, and other sounds that would be pertinent for a simulator. There's no music to speak of. There's a little bit, but yeah, you're generally right, while playing the game. Where the home ports falter is the controls. The Lynx version is very hard to control, making honor to the game's title and it can be difficult to keep your car on the road. It's very easy to oversteer and find oneself doing off-road driving, which is not a good thing. The Genesis version is a bit better, but not by much. Unless you guys have said that the arcade version is good, I'm going to avoid it like COVID if I ever see it at a retro event. It's good. It's worth at least one play. Yeah, It's a lot easier to control with a steering wheel rather than a joystick or gamepad or whatever. But uh, yeah, still give it a be, shot, uh, definitely. Still be prepared for a bit of a learning curve getting used to the force feedback. Uh, two, Stun Runner. This Atari game is one that I have played in the arcade. I also own the Atari Lynx version. I know it is part of the Midway Arcade Treasures 3 for the PS2. The original arcade game is, well, stunning, which, yeah, agreed. Uh, mm-hmm. The game is fast-paced and looks fantastic. Ironically, the game uses the same hardware as Hard Drive, and though this game is much, much, much better than that driving simulator. 
there's music, speech, and nice sound effects to complement the visuals, and con- the control is smooth. I do like the sound of the uh, the engine in Stun Runner. Uh, I thought that was kind of nice. The Lynx version does a superb job of replicating the arcade game, even if the graphics are not quite as smooth-looking as those of the arcade machine. They scale properly, and they replicate the arcade tracks quite well. There's also in-game music as well as speech, just like in the arcade original. The control is also pretty good, but it does take some learning. The Lynx part could have been better if it had a save feature so you could return to a track where you had left off. That would be, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, You need to learn the tracks in order to succeed, but that doesn't take away from the fun. I don't often see this game at retro events. It's one that I would immediately play if I did. In the meantime, the Lynx part and the version for the PS2 will have to do. That's all for today. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming. Uh, What was it he said here? Uh... Yeah, it would have been nice if the Lynx version did have a, uh, a password system, but... Uh, oh, yeah. He mentions something here. You need to learn the tracks in order to succeed, but that doesn't take away from the fun. There is a lot of memorization in this yeah, game. Yeah, in both games, I didn't even actually. think about that. Well, yeah, true. But I'd say more so in this one because of you need to know where the, the pads are and the stars and all of that stuff. And hard drive, and I always know there's going to be that truck right where the first checkpoint is in the speed round. Oh, there is, yeah, there is, it is there, isn't Every it? Every time. And he actually made me think of something here uh, while I was reading this. I'd mentioned uh, when I was talking about uh, hard driving's airborne about if you want to play something that's uh, about, you know, flight from Atari with polygons, check out uh, Steel Talons. And then I realized Steel Talons was actually on the part list for the Atari 7800. I'm wondering if Stun Runner was on that list, so I'm going to look that up. Hey, while you're doing that, why don't I address why another you... feedback we got? Yes. This one, uh, we got another one from Plaid Mouse. Oh, this is uh, getting to be regular. I kind of like that. We're, when we get regular feedback, that's pretty cool. He says, uh, Dear Jimmy G and Sean, greetings. He and Eugenio must have gotten together on their... Uh, openings there as always i hope you are both doing well uh, well you know how i'm doing i guess i'm writing to respond to some of the things you said about my comments as read on episode 132 and to share my thoughts on the games for episode 133 thanks again for reading my comments and sharing them with everyone i really do hope to become a regular contributor it's a lot of fun to hear your thoughts on my comments well thank you uh plaid Mouse. Uh, he goes on to say i might be brave enough to do a audio submission someday but I am a mouse after all. Well, Plaid Mouse, just squeak by with whatever you can. Uh, he goes on to say, concerning the stressed syllables in Japanese, oh my goodness, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> there are no stressed syllables if you are speaking Tokyo Standard Japanese. It's a very monotone language. However, if you speak the Osaka dialect or a number of other dialects, there are stressed syllables, very much so. However, I'll stick with the Tokyo standard, as that's the lingua franca, so to speak. Glad that you found my pronunciation guide helpful, Jimmy G. Thanks for the linguistic critique, Sean. Oh, flat mouse, I am always going to say you're welcome to any linguistic critique. (laughs) I still can't just grasp that there are languages in which none of the syllables of a polysyllabic word are stressed. Uh, I had a a co-worker from India some time ago. And different people were pronouncing his name differently, including another Indian guy. And I asked him one day, I said, hey, which syllable in your name is stressed? He said, actually, none of them. I said, really? He said, I know, I know, it's weird, but, you know. <laughs> so how do you say, I, I don't know, I don't know, but I'll, I'll try to learn. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that, Plaid Mouse. Let me get back to you. Uh, he says, so glad that I came up with a theme that neither of you thought of. What fun? Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I don't remember the theme that Plaid Mouse thought of. <laughs> 
I do remember this. He says, uh, yes, I didn't get a bonus life on locomotion. I'm not very good at it. Yeah, I did. I think we did comment on the low score on locomotion. Not that either one of us is really fantastic at the game either. <laughs> uh, Plaid Mouse says, thanks for sharing your memories on slide puzzles. Yes. The Illinois Oases sound pretty cool. Hopefully the guy that was conceived at the one near O'Hare airport is doing okay. <laughs> yeah. After the Phil Collins concert. <laughs> No worries about the rabbit trails. I love it. What is, do you remember what uh, he was talking about there? I, I, I don't remember what I was doing 10 minutes ago. Let alone I don't time. know. Rabbit trails are just veering off. You know, it's an ADD thing. Yeah, okay. Veering, one topic involves into the other. Oh, okay. Which we did yeah. today as well. Which, which we do every episode. And okay, I don't remember what sparked this, but Plaid Mouse says, root beer is awesome. Really happy that you guys like it too. I mentioned it because an ep- oh, here he says so right here. <laughs> I mentioned it because in episode 131, Jimmy G, you mentioned having a beer with me sometime. Since I gave up drinking not too long ago and never liked beer anyway, I'll just stick with root beer. I'm looking forward to having one with you guys sometime. Beer is an acquired taste. Uh, I prefer uh, bourbon, but uh, that's me. Yeah, I'm not much of a beer fan myself. I have very There's a few limited. I like. Yeah, I like Guinness, and it might be because I'm I have some Irish blood in me. And get, oh my god, Guinness cures headaches. I do like Guinness. I've only had it once, but I I enjoyed it when I had the one time I had it. Yeah, I swear. Anytime I've ever had a tapped Guinness while having a headache, within 20 minutes that headache goes away. Oh, by the way, we forgot. Uh, it's October. It's Oktoberfest time. When you did the drinking arena, we should have sung Ein Prosit. Isn't Oktoberfest a September activity anyway? Yeah, but some places have it throughout the entire month of October, though. But yeah, seriously, you get a headache, try a pint of Guinness from the tap. Not the canned version, but like from, Mm -hmm. go to a bar or something. And uh, our friend Duke will attest to that, because he called me and told me that he tried that, and he said it worked for him, too. Have you talked to him lately? I haven't yeah, seen him. Yeah, yeah. How's he of, doing? Yeah, yeah, I guess he's doing okay. He's busy with work. He's got two yeah. jobs and stuff, but yeah. Well, tell him I said hi next time All you right. see him. Well, or say hi now. He listens. Oh, hi. Hi, <laughs> hi Duke. It's more personal if you do it in person, though. Well, yeah, it's true. Well, and uh, Plaid Mouse's next comment is uh, very near and dear to my heart. He says, if that Marmite is still available, ship it to me. Which you did. <laughs> I honestly have a jar of it in my cupboard as I write. Well, he has another one now because I shipped my almost full jar of Marmite. <laughs> I gave it a couple of tries. I was like, yeah, I don't see what people go nuts for here. To me, Marmite would be would make a nice ingredient in some kind of a uh, a sauce or something, but not a toast spread. No, goodness. Isn't that no. just like beer yeast or something? It's yeast extract. Okay. So I, I don't know. It's, it's very syrupy, very thick, very viscous. And uh, I was actually going to, like, keep it with me when I go out on my bike and, like, paint it on car door handles where cars are parked in the bike lanes. Mm-hmm. But before I could, Plaid Mouse says, hey, I'll take it. So I sent it to him. Oh, by the way, uh, Stun Runner is not on the uh, 7800 uh, release list. Okay. Steel Talons is for some reason, huh, which okay. I don't know how they would do that, but uh, Stun Runner is not. Steel Talons was never released, though. This is right. a canceled prototype. The next thing, by the way, that Plaid Mouse mentions is uh, very important. I'm glad he mentioned this. He said, thanks for mentioning Suicide Prevention Month as well. Oh, and he says, very cool on a happier note. Happy belated birthday, Jimmy G. Well, thank you very much. Now, I, I, I got to correct him here because your birthday was not belated. It was still on time this year. Your uh, birthday sure. still happened on September 11th, so I, I don't... Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about postponing my next one because I don't want to turn 55. Oh, Okay. 
Yeah, I still got a ways to go before I turn even 50, so ha, 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 ha. Oh, have I, met, have I said that I hate you yet today? Probably, probably. Ah, okay. Yeah, because I, I just turned 40-something re- just a week ago from right now, almost. Uh, anyway, he says, uh, okay, thoughts for... Oh, here we go, episode 133. He says, hard, uh, hard driving stun runner. I had a hard time configuring hard driving on my computer, so I didn't have a good experience. Yeah, that's to be understood, yeah. Yeah, like, like you talked about how it's hard to emulate. Uh, he says, probably a great game when set up right, but I just didn't do it right. So I'm going to give it two out of five. Unfortunately, I couldn't play Stun Runner, so I can't give it a rating. Okay, that was a short review on this episode's games. Thanks you for all you guys do. Look forward to the episode. And your response, eh, Platmouse, thank you so much for uh, for your feedback for your for your email there. I actually was able to emulate Stun Runner pretty well simply on mm-hmm. my on my laptop and using the touchpad to steer. It worked out surprisingly well. It's not as bad to emulate as hard driving is. Or it also could have been the ROM that I was using too. And if, if, if I, I don't know, that might have something to do with it. But man, anybody else, if you have anything you want to chat to us about, uh, we are Pi Factory at Fab4IT.com or Pi Factory Podcast at Fab4IT.com. And Fab4IT is spelled F A B, the number 4IT.com. And we welcome audio submissions. Yes. We want to hear from our, our loyal subjects. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners, our loyal subjects. Yeah, and uh, you can hit us up on the social medias. We're on uh, Facebook, uh, the Twitters. We have a, uh, a Discord server, and if you want an invite to that, hit us up. We'll send you an Because the thing is, the invites only last a certain amount of time. Uh, what I want to do is have like a rotating invite always available on our website. I'm going to see if I could do that. Mm-hmm. Just got to remember to update that. But uh, And um, you might have actually been trying to say this a second ago, so I'll... Uh, we also would like to do a kind of a QA and uh, yes. ask me anything episode in the uh, near or far future. So feel free to ask us anything, not about sex or politics or religion, please. No sex, no drugs, but rock and roll. Yes. I don't know about the no drugs part. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah. well, the, the rock and roll, the rock not. and roll, rock the rock and roll, and roll is sure. definite. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like sex, politics, and religion, we don't have any answers for, so we can't really address that. Anyway, uh, Jimmy G, what about the theme? Should we talk about the theme for the episode? Oh, yeah. Uh, this episode's theme was, uh, these are uh, Atari polygon-based racing games. Yeah, in fact, they're both using the same engine, essentially. Yeah, which I should have assumed, but I didn't. So, oh, well, what you going right. to do? What am I going to do is I'm going to thank certain people who have been uh, do that? supporting us financially uh, over the years and maybe even over the days. Uh, uh, mind you that... Uh, Knowing my luck, by the time we get the episode out, we may have a one or two additional who aren't thanked, and they're like, hey, what the hell, man? Well, yeah, well, we'll see what we can do if that happens. But anyway, thank you very much to PJ Steele, Richard Grounds, Lance Endries, Kurt Musgrave, the SNES Podcast, Keith Sheehan, Nate, Lo- Nate? No, Nate Lockhart, Nate. Daniel Chavez, uh, Christian Williams, Underground Retrocade, D. Alex, Rory Coleman, Atari Bites. Art Guglielmo, Kevin Bean, Retro Game Club Podcast, Mark Super, New Balance Stores Phoenix, Timmy Mack, Mike Hat NJ, and Richard Valdez. Thank you guys so much. And uh, anybody interested in uh, contributing to that financial support, just keep listening and our booth announcer will tell you exactly how to do that over Patreon.com. So, Jimmy G, what games should we talk about for episode 134? Well, it's 
awesome that you asked that because you suggested the two games. Oh. And you are right. There's one game that we have a distinct lack of in our list yeah. here. And let me just double check to make sure it's not on the list of potentials. I could have sworn we talked about one of them, but uh, I think I'm wrong. You are wrong, Cabinet Sanchez. Okay, so we're going to talk about Arkanoid Ooh. at Portman. 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 Ooh. I think that's the game about... Uh, the little snack cheese uh, stuff that comes in a little tub from Kakana, Wisconsin, I think. I think you are the, right. The Port Wine Cheese Man. Port Man also goes by the name T.T. Port Man, and Port Man in each case is two words. So uh, uh, those of you who uh, don't have access to a Port Man machine, you want to find the ROM, that's... Well, then again, it's the ROM's not going to have a space in it, but anyway. It would have been nice. Is, so is, is Port Man a portmanteau? Oh, it very well might be. I just thought of that. You you never know. Never know. Yeah, what will the theme be? You'll have to listen and find out. Mainly because I don't even know. It's also known as Doc Man. So if you don't see it under Port Man, it might also be under Doc Man. I know what game we're talking about now. Yeah. Because I think it's Doc Man at Galloping Ghost, isn't it? No, I think it's Port Man at Galloping Ghost. Okay. I'll have to look for it in MAME. Let me. I got. uh, No, I don't have MAME open. I'll look for it later. So yeah, I don't even know what the theme is. Sean's hiding it from me. So I also want to make one other uh, one other announcement. Uh, we're planning a, a special episode uh, in the near future. Yes, and I, yes. I want to hear feedback on this again at Pie Factory Podcast at fab4it.com or piefactory at fab4it.com. And for Christmas, we're thinking about doing an episode about Lego. Lego. We've ta- we've we've done theme episodes about just about a whole lot of other things, so why not talk about something else from our youth? Well, yep. or in my case, my present. Did, yeah, same here, dude. So yes, we're, we want to do an episode about Lego, so uh, we're going to try to get a couple of guests for it, too. We just decided oh, yeah. this a few minutes ago. In fact, I'm going to reach out to them as soon as uh, we're done here. Hey, include so, me on that. Oh, yes, I will. So, uh, yeah, and uh, we, yeah. Uh, we're planning that for uh, for December. So uh, yep. you got, eh, let, let's put a uh, cutoff. Well, you know, we can add emails in later, though. Because That's true. We, yeah, we're going to get some interviewers, interviewees, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, the emails at a later date. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we want to record early so that we can get it out of the way so we can have a nice, we can just release the episode in December. Yeah. So again, this yeah. is another th- yeah. part of uh, wa- uh, of uh, watching the sausage get made. You know, you don't want to see that, uh. Uh, especially with us. So, um, you know, have it in by November 30th. Let's, let's just say that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. If you get it in earlier, we'll include it in the main part of the podcast. If not, we'll still include it. Mm-hmm. So you got a little leeway. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, that having been said, uh, do you have something to end the show with? Oh, Pie Factory Podcast Episode One Thirty Three. Signing off. This is Sean, and this is um, Jim. I bid you a fine polonium. Support your local arcade. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde Saint Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory Podcast online via Facebook on Twitter at PieFactoryPFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast.